Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, September the 23rd, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Greetings. And Mr. Bob Ryer. Howdy. Oh, Bob. <laughs> you, I, don't know. I don't know what that was. I don't know either. That's my Jesse from Toy Story. <laughs> that's, a, that's okay. okay. I, can, I can accept it now because you said, because you used that reference. Okay. So good. we're good on that. Um,. Ooh, we're back for another week of, of the Talking Comics podcast. Um, we are going to be talking about Tokyo Ghost this week, which is the new image book from Rick Remender, uh, Sean Murphy, and Matt Hollingsworth. Um, so that's going to be our shared book of the week. Obviously, we have our lightning rounds and our, our personal books as well. Uh, some Black Panther news to jump into a little bit. We'll just yeah. we'll, we'll go over that. Just broke today, which... Thank you, Marvel. For, yeah, when for, did that happen? For that. Wow. Um, and uh, talk about an article that Bob picked uh, from the AV Club about representation and and uh, Agent Carter and the problem with representation Absolutely in comics. Absolutely right. So we, we have that to talk about. So we're going to dig into all those things. And just like last week, that article, we'll put the link in the show notes. So if you're listening to this um, and you want to you wanna dive in with it, Click on it, read it, and the, and listen to the, the conversation, and, and add your thoughts as well. Of course, um, we we would love to hear them. Um, no stuffing this week, but she'll be back next week with us. So yeah, we are we're now fully out of our our hiatus. We're we're, we're back in the swing. I don't know. I'm still recovering. You're still recovering. But that was what, was weeks ago now. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> it takes a long time to get the old bones working again. I I came a little late today because I was still writing stuff. As I walked out the door, basically, <laughs> my little clipboard and my pen were rattling away, and maybe I can even read some of it. I've made it a point to leave earlier than usual uh, ever since we moved out here because of that place across the street. Uh, taco Loco? Loco Taco? Burrito, burrito, burrito Loco. Loco. Living Burrito it's become, Loco. It's become exactly. a, an, an semi-expensive ritual for me to get food from that. It's just so damn good. It's really good. And it lasts yeah. me throughout the podcast because it used to be that halfway through I'd be seeing things and starving. And <laughs> now I don't have to do that anymore and it's wonderful. I've discovered the only White Castle on the island I can't eat in. Ugh. The one right over here? It's right, on, right around the corner. Mm-hmm. I love White Castle for those people not from this region or the Midwest where there's White Castles. It's little square hamburgers grilled with tons of onions, <sighs> and people around here call them belly bombers. <laughs> what do you, of what do you order when you go to White Castle? You know, four or five burgers, some oh fries, maybe, maybe a cheeseburger or a chicken thing or whatever. <laughs> um, maybe it's just because it's late at night. I'm going in there at 11 o'clock at night. Maybe I've been sitting around a little That's, bit. But, but that should be prime time for a White Castle. Well, right. It's, it's, you, you have a couple of beers and you yeah. go have some White Castle. No one should ever have White Castle if they haven't had at least two beers. <laughs> you know what's gone really downhill? And th- this isn't saying anything that they've been on top of their game, but Burger King. 
Burger King has been pretty uh, awful. They never get their chicken fries. Their chicken fries are awful. I tried them. Uh, and yeah. Even worse lately, and I know this is probably sacrilege for a lot of people, but Wendy's. The last, I've noticed that. I don't eat fast food that often, but the last three times that I've convinced myself that it's okay to have Wendy's, it has been terrible. Mm-hmm. Terrible. They give me the, the worst fries ever. They're... Steak cut fries supposedly have gotten very thin. They're gross. And very greasy. And we used to be, from our old home, which was Bobby's home, mm-hmm. there was a Wendy's on the corner mm-hmm. of like South Haven Avenue. So coming home, stop, get it, you know, the 99 cent chicken sandwich and some large fries and just enough to nosh watching a movie or whatever. And the last couple of times, the same thing was, Ugh, how long has this been sitting there? No. <laughs> it's a piece of hockey puck and bleh. My newest thing has been Taco Bell has got this uh, stuffed um, nacho thing. It's kind of like a mutant-sized homunculus, uh, <laughs> like, oh, what the hell are they called? The chicken quesadillas. Uh-huh. But it's got like a Dorito shell thing in it, like a, like a nacho. Mm-hmm. And all you need of, like, you need one. That's it. And you can you can put your the rest of your meal away and have it later, and that way you don't get that Taco Bell pile up. Yeah, uh, my Taco Bell go to always gave me that, but I love the Mexi Melt. Yeah, mm. get like two of those and yeah. something else going on. And they used to have a uh, bacon cheeseburger burrito, and it was amazing. Works. And then they stopped making it, and I cried a little bit. Just That's... a couple of tears. Well, we used to have a Taco Bell outside my school. So it was really easy to just cut, you know, whatever period you had lunch and go and walk over there and grab something and go back to school. And then they stopped making it. Our school was a closed campus, mm-hmm. so we couldn't leave the grounds during school time. I, Even if you were yep. like a senior or whatever, you couldn't leave. I had friends who were other schools who could do they, Oh, we go. We went to like McDonald's for lunch. I'm yeah. like, That's not fair. I, I'm going to tell a really quick story. It's very ridiculous. So bear with me. Uh, I was a good kid. In school, relatively. Um, <laughs> as far as, like, abiding by the rules mm-hmm. of the school, I had a couple run-ins with teachers, but for the most part, all of the higher-ups knew that I was a good student. One day, I decided that I'm going to break the rules a little bit, and I'm going to walk to the McDonald's in Miller Place, and I'm going to use the trails that uh, run from our school up to the McDonald's. So they saw me, the assistant principal saw me walk <laughs> into the trails in the morning, and I didn't come back until like fourth period because I just, I was, you know, I was being a badass that day and I didn't care. There was a rumor going around the school that I had hung myself wow. in the trails. So when I came back to school later that day, there was a police car waiting and they pulled me directly into the office. They were waiting for me at the front door and pulled me into the office on the suspicion that I had hung myself in well, the trails. Once you walked back in. Yeah. That should have alleviated suspicion. It was completely ridiculous. If I went through the list of terrible rumors that went around about me because I was so sick when I was younger, Mm -hmm. I weighed 70 pounds when I was in high school. It was really bad. But every time that I did something out of the ordinary or was absent for a period of time, it was because I was dead. (laughs) And uh, here I am today. And I'm laughing, laughing from my grave. (laughs) I I was so absent from the ninth grade. We're going to play this game now. Uh, had some plumbing issues in the tummy. So I was in the hospital oh, yeah. weeks at a time and whatever. I My ninth grade English class, my teacher was a guy named Mr. Sullivan, who I remember to this day, who turned me on to reading and writing. He's the guy that's responsible for me sitting here in, in a lot of ways, being able to do what I do. I have one of those. And we had this, we were the smart class, supposedly, mm-hmm. which just meant we gave him more headaches than the dumb class that came <laughs> after lunch. In between, he had liquid lunches. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
But he decided one day that he had had enough of teaching the regular stuff and literally threw his books out the second-story window. And nice. we came back on Monday to reading Lovecraft and going to plays and writing our own stuff and whatever. So we had this wacky group of kids in the back, one of whom was the son of my pediatrician. He and his partner, his name was Andy Cake, his partner was Ian. I don't remember his last name. I'll remember some other day. Anyway, they were <laughs> writing a school parody of the Odyssey that was broadcast over the loudspeakers during homeroom every day. <laughs> cool. Insulting the teachers, whatever. And these are the two kids who decided that I was absent so much. I missed my picture day. Yeah. So they were in charge of that. So there it was, blank. With my name and then the phantom student. <laughs> nice. And when I came back to school after being out for like three weeks, they'd actually made a rubber stamp that said that so that I could stamp my papers with it when I handed <laughs> it. That's awesome. I was That's the same way. Awesome. I was I was in one week, out for three, uh, in and out of the hospital. And it's no wonder that there were things flying yes. around, <laughs> for sure. Okay, Bobby, how about you? We're playing truth or dare, I guess. I didn't miss that many days of school. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I don't have a lot of like crazy stories from from like school time. <laughs> I was always a decently healthy kid. I did, I had like issues with like strep throat. I would get strep throat mm-hmm. all the time. That was the one thing that I would get all the time. Um, I did get mono. Uh, uh, in, did you in college? Like, in college, yeah. The the summer after is that the my kissing disease, senior, it is the kissing it's disease. Now, uh, it was definitely not from kissing. <laughs> it was from uh, you know, it's like a saliva. It's it's, it's, it's that's why it's yeah. kissing because it's swapped through saliva. And you know, I worked in a restaurant and we would like you know share meals all the time. The, the wait staff and I got mono and I found out later that like one of the or one or two of the people who worked there had 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 mono because once you have mono you have it forever it's a yep. virus so it's just you know hmm. it lays dormant in you and, and and then it can come back you know at, at times but that's who i had gotten it from they weren't showing symptoms or anything but that's who i had gotten it from um it was probably responsible though uh, not because like i someone thought this person thought that i had like done something wrong but it was probably responsible for the fact that i didn't that me and my high school my high school my college girlfriend broke up ah. oh. because we split because she lived in new jersey and i lived here um, and, and, uh, you know, we were seeing each other like most weekends, but then they just have, I got sick. And so like, I really couldn't, we couldn't hang out anymore. Um, because it's How bare- long did you have it for? Um, you have it for like over a month. Damn. And then she went to Disney for like three weeks. And so we didn't see each other for like almost two months. Oops. And I can do it. Yep. And then, so that it, it ended. Um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's the one second story. There is one thing where I was, I don't know how old I was. I must've been in preschool or something like that, or maybe, maybe kindergarten, but I think preschool, um, we were coming back from like uh, Ash Wednesday services or whatever, and I walked into my backyard. I was just a little kid. I walked in my backyard and I just collapsed. Hmm. And I was wow. in the hospital for two weeks, and they did, they could not figure out what what happened to me. Yeah, they I, there was a, there. I, I was getting MRIs like every day. I you know I had these Ugh. like um, I had to get these like you know huge like horse needle shots and <laughs> but the, yeah, it was that was not fun as a as a little. And kid. they found nothing. Nothing. They found nothing. That's great. Yep. I had blood poisoning a few years ago. That was awesome. It was a good time. That sounds great. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I know. That's a joke. Uh, Something called blood poisoning does not sound great. No, nope. food poisoning is bad enough. Blood poisoning. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I was on a, uh, I was on a medication for my stomach called Six MP, and uh, it's got numbers in it. You don't want to take it, right? And uh, it was it was a Crohn's medication that they had me on, and it just was not gelling with my, you know, whatever, and. Uh, I have had it for weeks and I went in there and they did like toxicity levels and all these treatments and stuff like that. And like all these tests and they're like, you should not be here right now. Like, what do you mean? They're like, you should be dead. These levels are insane. How the hell are you walking around? And I'm like, I don't know. Clean living doc. 
hey, I, I've survived. I told them I said I've survived worse. So, but anyway, comic books. Can comic books. Can you survive the lightning round? Oh, oh I don't lies. know. <laughs> Very nice, Bobby. I've got. I like it. A lot of podcasts under my belt. <laughs> um, let's throw three minutes on the clock here. Yeah. All right, Steve, go ahead. All right, so uh, Sex Criminals number 12 came out this past week, and it was absolutely ridiculous, possibly one of the most ridiculous issues uh, that this series has ever produced, and that's saying a lot. Yeah. Uh, there's even... Wow. <laughs> is that the, is that the, the Kate, Kate Leth, Leth cover? cover? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> um, so but last time that we left um, the Sex Criminals, we met a a person, another another criminal that has a very unique uh, power, if you will, uh, when they're in the quiet. And we basically got to see see that power display itself. And uh, let's just say it goes into the realm of uh, Japanese pornomation. Ah, and tentacle? It's, it's, yeah. Okay. It's hysterical. It was absolutely hysterical. But what I liked the most about it was as absurd as it was, they were still having a lot of fun with the experience and kind of poking fun at it throughout the issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, Susie was laughing her ass off as she's running away from this thing. And basically saying that, you know, not everybody that's in on this world of theirs is safe to approach. And I think that that's really cool that they kind of have to learn to be more wary of who they decide to induct into their their group. Mm-hmm. Um, I checked out The Beauty, number two, after we had talked about it on our uh, shared book of the week. And um, I got to say, like, I, I'm, still, I'm still intrigued about the mystery, and I, I still think it's... <laughs> You're just going to keep that open while I'm trying to do my lightning mm-hmm. round? Yeah. I get another 15 seconds because of that. <laughs> um, I, it's really cool, but I, I got to say, like, as much as I read the first one twice, they talk about stuff in here and they reference things. I don't remember anything from what they're talking mm. about. That could just be me. Um, but I'm still really intrigued by the mystery of what's going on with the beauties. And um, the issue kind of focuses on letting the cat out of the bag of what's happening and creating somewhat of the beginnings of a mass hysteria. And I have a feeling that things are only going to get worse and or better for us readers. Uh, Constantine, the Hellblazer, number four, as awesome as this series has been, number four might be my favorite issue. Uh, This explores kind of the really seedy, shitty side of Constantine. He's drunk throughout the entire issue. And he, it's, it's a love story of sorts where you're learning about someone from his past and just, you learn about his influence and the way that he can, he poisons everybody that he brings into his life. He's always causing problems, even if he doesn't intend to. Uh, and it also is a lesson to be learned when you mess with dark magics and don't know when to walk away. Uh-huh. Uh, I keep mentioning Dr. Fate and Martian Manhunter both had their fourth issues this past week. Martian Manhunter was out of control Uh, I keep telling you how amazing it is. Mm. Issue number four was the best one yet. Really getting into some very strange territory uh, with even like a little bit of multiverse kind of stuff or or having like replicas of yourself. The John character is expanding and just becoming really weird. And I love it. What about Mr. Biscuit? Is it Mr. Biscuit? Yeah, Mr. Biscuit is is in this as well. Uh, We learn a little bit about him. Um, But it's just been... Like I've, I really got attached to the Martian Manhunter probably in the last like two years, but especially when I read that New Frontier collection. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, Tim Sale is going to be at New York City Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Oh my oh. god! <laughs> uh, but the Martian Manhunter stuff—it went from being really cool and intriguing to like all-out strange. And I just I don't know where they're going with it, but I'm I'm so on board 
for whatever this book uh, throws at me. And I'm I'm just Doctor Fate is a fantastic story of somebody coming to grips with the responsibilities of being a hero. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Cool. That be my lightning round. Awesome. Uh, I agree with Sex Criminals. Yes, I did get the Kate Leth cover. It's great. Um, <laughs> it was it was it's very disturbing upside down for reasons. Yeah. It was bag- <laughs> it's disturbing right side up as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's uh, on this cover. It's by Fold Fold Zadarsky and Deep Fraction. Oh God. Um, and it's a uh, four sixty nine is the t- is the, the total on it. Did you read the letter section? Uh, no, I read it like his like thing about why the book was late. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Pretty epic. Um, yeah, very epic. But uh, great, great issue uh, as always. Really ridiculous and funny, and and really has opened up the the their world in a lot of ways. Because mm-hmm. now you know, every few issues you would sort of meet a new person and sort of. I mean, that first arc was really just about them, and then the second arc you started to sort of branch out a little bit to other other people like Robert Rainbow stuff like that. And now you're full on. There's like a world built now where you're. You're jumping between characters at a, at a very fast pace, so very cool in that in that sense. Um, uh, as well, Constantine as well was something else that I, I, I wanted to talk about that you talked about, Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I read three and four yesterday. I, I was an issue behind, and I absolutely um, love love the series. It was one of those books where. Um, even though I'd been enjoying it, it was sort of like on the fence when I was buying yeah. um, issue three. I was like, should I buy it? I don't know. I bought issue three. I didn't get a chance to read it. And then issue four came around. I was like, again, I haven't read issue three yet. Do I buy it? I bought it. And I'm very, very glad I did. One of the things I really like about it is you mentioned showing Constantine sort of being this kind of poison in in, mm-hmm. in his life. And I haven't read uh, very much at all of sort of the original sort of Hellblazer stuff. Uh, so you'll have to forgive me if, if this stuff is, is present there, which I'm sure it is because there's so much of it. I know some of it was so mm-hmm. good. But in, in, in the New 52 era of Constantine, there's been a lot of, you know, he, he's there and he does a lot of stuff and he's often selfish, right? And so that's kind of what you get from people, right? He's selfish and he's always sort of, yeah. he's always sort of playing his hand behind his back in, in all of his endeavors. But for the most part of the New 52, it's very much been like, um, I'm doing that, but but in the end, I'm going to end up being sort of good. Like I'm going to be the, yeah. I, I'm doing, so, I, at the end, like I'm, I'm tricking you to save your life is sort of what he's doing, right? Um, sort of like in that kind of the good Loki kind of way, the way Loki's been the last couple right. of years, right? Uh, maybe Spike from Buffy. Yeah, exa- stuff like that, except for, except for when Spike was a murderer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> um, but Constantine here, you really get to see, yeah, there's like a magic element to it, uh, but you really get to see just in a personal level what makes him so toxic. And it's because he's mm-hmm. so selfish that he just doesn't even realize that he's doing something wrong. Yeah. Some the, that's that's when it really gets bad. Like he tricks people and like he tricks uh, you know the, one of, one of the characters and he well he thinks he's tricking her in, into doing something or you know pulling a fast one on her and he's he's really not at all you know he's the one that's being played and that kind of stuff is very kind of like okay it's sort of like roguish and funny but the stuff with the the girl Veronica is very mm-hmm. like is just a very shitty thing and and it's sort of painted in this magic world but it could be a stand-in for right. any sort of like relationship in which you know the this guy kind of gets this girl in too deep and then sort of like just throws her out to the wolves and that's kind of what he does to this girl mm. um in, in his past when he when he's very young and then when his his older self trying to just sort of trying to atone for what, what's going on but 
not being in the practice of ever atoning, so not being very good at it either, which I think is pretty interesting. Right. I mean, my exposure to the character has been mostly since the New 52. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I honestly can't recall much that I've read with him in it from past stuff that I've read, but uh, a lot of it was the Justice League Dark stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he, he pulled some stuff in that book, but there were so many characters in that book that they could never really do like a hard focus mm. on what he was doing. But there was a lot of throughout that series, a lot of mentioning of his past and things that he had done and characters guilting him for things that happened that almost felt like, like it happened pre 52 when this was supposed to be, you know, a hard reset uh-huh. of their universe yeah, yeah. that they were still like, he came into that universe with that reputation and they're like, you know, you've done this to me in the past. You've mm. done that to me in the past. It's like, it's one thing to be told about it. And it's another thing to be shown and to actually sure. be there for those events. And now with this series, it seems like it's really an exploration of him just the kind of person that they're painting him out to be or that they've painted him out to be, it's a real exploration, like a ground floor thing of him doing those things. And I, sometimes I like reading a despicable character, especially if that despicable character is likable in certain ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, I think it brings him back as well closer to what he was before they they brought him from Vertigo over to into the main DC universe, which was a much more hard-edged character. I don't think, this isn't all the way back there, obviously, because it's, mm-hmm. it's still a mainline DC title, but it's not... They they very much softened him up for the yeah, yeah made him in, for the put him in the Justice League yeah exactly all. yeah um and I thought the the new art the uh, Vanessa Del Rey Vanessa Del Rey was yeah. the artist I thought that was a, a nice compliment to the uh, Riley Rossmo uh, yeah. stuff that had started the series absolutely absolutely and I think actually yeah uh, Ming Ming Doyle and Vanessa Del Rey get, get credit on on the first on three and I'm not sure actually let me check four uh, right James Tinian no uh, no it's James Tinian and Ming Doyle yeah. Ti- James Tynan and, and Ming Doyle. Um, and, uh, Vanessa Ray and Chris Visions are the artists on, uh, uh what well, a name for an artist. Chris Visions. Yeah. It's yeah. a great name. Yeah. But the art has been great. And, and yes, you know, honestly, like it's, it's a testament to th- their work that I didn't even really, cause it'd been a while since I'd read two mm-hmm. when I got to three, I didn't even really think about the fact that it wasn't Riley Rossimo yeah. any, any, anymore, which, which was great. Pretty um, cool reveal towards the end too. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh. There is a little, little Easter egg of uh, Zatanna in in that issue, which was yes. which is pretty cool. Aww. You don't actually see her, but it, she's like, it's a it's a flashback and kind of constantly at like this magic parlor and all these like you know illusionary magicians are doing these tricks and he's all kind of being an asshole about how he's going to show these people that it's not. And just as he's getting kind of dragged out of the place, you hear like, oh, sh- oh, from America, this is Zatanna. <laughs> you see her hands in the air, and then yeah. and, that, and that's it. Um, so pretty cool. And uh, Rat Queen's number 12, uh, Tess Fowler's doing a great job uh, on art now. It was it was a little bit thin of a, an issue, I think. Not too much going mm-hmm. on. Um, and also, uh, but, but it was good. Still, it was very good and funny and all the things that mm-hmm. you love about Rat Queen's. And I read Black Canary number four as well, and that was a good read. I know yes. you talked about it last week, right, Bob? No. Nope. I thought you were talking about it last week. No, it came out this past Wednesday. Oh, came out this Wednesday? Oh. Yeah, it was very good. Oh, okay. I thought, was that number three you talked about a couple weeks ago? Yes, because I was way because behind. Because you're way behind. Ruby That's why I was confused. And yes. That's why yeah. I didn't put it in my landing ground or ever talk about it because I didn't. Um, yeah, some of yeah. these some of these books are doubling up because of the, the yeah. time that we had off. Yeah, absolutely. Is it in your landing ground, Bob Black Canary? No. No. It was going to be, so we can talk about it. I love the, we're not to the end yet, mm. but we, we sort of capped off one little part of the mystery that we still don't know about Ditto completely. No. But I love what's setting up. I don't want to spoil the ending for this in case people have been waiting, but we get to a character who we've been not happy with Mm -hmm. over the last couple who has some reasons 
and maybe some way to strike back as we move forward. I liked the uh, Piaguera artwork. Yes. The Why the Last Man artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tough to lose, you know, our regular artist, Andy Wu, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But this was a real nice Is she in. off the book or is she just taking no, a just break? No, just take a month off. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I think she's going to be at the show too, right? Yeah, yes. she definitely yes. is. And another another one too, the book where I didn't, if I hadn't have, because I, I don't really look at the credits when I first start, I just read, you know? Yeah. Um, it wasn't until after I finished reading the book that I even realized Annie Wu wasn't doing the art. So obviously it's a very different, it's a different style, but it it, it was so good that I didn't. Yeah, it's in keeping. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Very much in keeping. All we right. We didn't go to Alex Ross or something. No, no. Tweet. That would be a weird one. Um, all right, Bob, you ready? You've got three minutes on. Oh, here we okay, go. go ahead. You got three minutes on the clock. Go. Spider Island number four kicks it off for me, where once again I spent four dollars for five pages of an MC2 Spider Girl story by Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, and Sal Busema, and it was worth every penny. Nice. That's all I'm going to say. Secret Six number six, Gail Simone, artist Tom Dernick. They bring the final confrontation with the now unmasked Mockingbird. It's a Ooh. secret who he is. It is a he. Uh, it's a very twisty conclusion and one that promises further mysteries moving forward. So, so th- this will be our, I guess, cap off the first trade. Mm. So it'll be out in about eight months, knowing DC. Yeah, yeah. I well, it's say it's that. Ser- I feel like the series started two years ago. So. Yeah, and, and there was a gap and some yeah. interruptions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sensation Comics 14, Karen Travis and Andres Giondo with Wonderful Colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick. It's a tale set in the New 52 this time around. But it centers on Diana acting as an impartial mediator between two small nations about to go to war due to some godly machinations. There's been oil discovered, and two countries don't like each other, and that's not ever good. Uh, It's another great standout, and it's a shame this series is coming to an end, but there'll be lots of great stuff to buy. It's a hell of a cover. I'm not completely thrilled with the cover. The covers have been the weakest part of this, but here, Steve, take a look. I think it's pretty. Take a look. It is pretty. Just an odd camera angle. I like the hair. Hair's good. Some of the other stuff, not so good. Um, two one-shots. I don't do many of these sort of one-shots things, but 50 Years of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Mockingbird, which is Chelsea Kane with art by Joel Jones from Lady Killer, and it's a really fun mystery spy throw that showcases Bobby Skills as a detective, and with art by Joel Jones, it just completely sells the whole idea of that sort of thing based on what we saw from Lady Killer. Mm-hmm. And we also have a backup story by Margaret Stahl, who's a young adult novelist of The Red Widow. Hmm. A young girl saved by Natasha, who now is going down that road herself. Then there's Agent Carter by Catherine Imminent and Rich Ellis. It's set in 1966. S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to recruit Peggy into the agency, and this effort coincides with a visit from SIF, crashing helicarriers, uh, fire, brimstone, a whole bunch of weird stuff, and some really interesting subtext and an interesting sort of meta-message which we, I think, we'll get to at some point, but oh, we'll go for it. How much time do I have? 20 <laughs> seconds? 30, 40 seconds. Oh, okay. Uh, Peggy is trying to save Sif, who's fallen out of a helicarrier into the ocean. She's trying to drag her up from the bottom. And as she's holding her up, how many more times, how many more times can we be tested? How much harder do we have to try? And for what? To prove what? That we're strong enough to lose and lose and lose arms and legs and lose memories. And comrades lose friends and lose houses but not homes, lose battles but not wars, lose heart but not hope. I am strong enough to do that. Powerful stuff. It is that. It is that. And I gave me about eight seconds to just say that, um, no, nope, nothing. Oh, your time's up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bob. Oh, well. 
<laughs> you get nothing. You get nothing. No soup for you. Um, and and that that issue is talked about heavily in in the article that you um, that we're going to be talking about this week. Obviously, a lot of it is referenced there. Yes, are we doing this now? No, 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 we'll, 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 no, no, we'll, no, no. We, we can't oh. do. Like, let's not go crazy, Bob. Come right? on, it was a segue. About, it was a segue. Um, well, I guess we're done with our lightning rounds, right? But I don't know. Let's do no, our we'll books. Do books. Let's do our we'll books do first. Book. Let's do our books first. Um, all right. What's wrong? I'm getting a phone call from my repairman that's been working on my apartment. Okay, well, I kind of have to take, you, you it. take take it. All right, I'll, yeah. I'll ask Bob about his, about his book of the week. Okay. Aww. <laughs> All right, Bob, you have to keep going. Yes, that's never a problem no. chatting. So 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 buttons. No, <laughs> my book of the week is actually another one shot. I went one shot happy you this did. week. I was just saying before off the air that I, I didn't buy any of these one shots because I feel like I, when I buy one lunch, I have to buy all of them. So, well, that's what happened with me when I started with the shield ones. Again, Joel Jones was the, mm. the selling point for that. And I, okay, I'll try that. And then the Agent Carter was sitting there because I was a week late on the mm. other one. I, what the heck? What I'm buying one, I'll buy the other. The Agent Carter, it's Immanen, Immanen, sorry, and Ellis, right? Yeah. The same people did Operation Sin, same, same mm-hmm. exact team. Yep. Okay. I just, I just, I knew it was Immanen. I just didn't know if it was yep. Ellis. Carries right through the same sort of vibe, but it's just, okay. it's now 15 years or so later than the, in the 60s, and it's Nick Fury and Dum Dum and all the people you remember from the Steranko mm-hmm. era of that. And so uh, this week I, I came into the store and it wasn't buying a heck of a whole lot. How many books I'm buying? Like five books. There's this last week wasn't much. It's like, all right, Battle World Secret Wars Journal. Okay. It's like, wh- okay. Well, I mean, why would I buy this? Well, there's a, a bizarre kind of cover, kind of mm-hmm. horror nursey sort of cover. And the reason I bought it, but it, we have two stories here. And first one is by Jen and Sylvia Saska with art by oh. Alec Morgan. And it's called Risk of Infection. Hence this. Yes. If you don't know who the Saska well, we'll are. you'll hear okay. all about them in a little bit. Okay. Uh, second story is Aaron Alexevich and Diego Sieto. And that's about Mill E, the model citizen. Ah, Mill E, the model. Right. So taking that one first, it's certainly very light in tone, although it does have some darker moments because, well, you know, it's Battleworld. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it does feature Millie the model, who's one of Marvel's oldest female characters back in the 40s, created by Stan and Ruth Atkinson way back when. Brought back into modern continuity, she was around through the seventies. Friend of Patsy Walker, the Hellcat, and they got kicked out of Stan's, uh, the Reed and Sue's wedding. Mm. They're in there too. And here, what she is, she is—it's either Millie or an incredible simulation. It is Battleworld. Who really knows? <laughs> Her job is to sell the idea of Emperor Doom to the masses across all the various domains of Battleworld. Mm. Which includes zombie worlds and, you know, future imperfect and all that kind of jazz, as well as standing in front of a Westchester strip mall selling Doom as if he's Girl Scout cookies. (laughs) It gets all over the place, and it's hysterically funny and really beautifully drawn by uh, Diogo, and sort of a combination of classic sort of 60s grids, but also sort of a little bit of an anime kind of look to it. And it's just very entertaining, and it, there is a joke. You know, it's Mill hyphen E, for those paying attention, just in case. It, we're talking about Millie the model. Steve is back. Steve is back. I am Steve back. Steve is back. Steve is back. So, Lucky you. that's the second story. Now, the lead story, which is called Risk of Infection, features Linda Carter, the night nurse. Ooh. And drawn in a very moody style by Alex Morgan. 
And great colors, too, by Nolan Woodward. Just lovely use of flashback structure and so on and so forth. But it's the writing of Jen and Sylvia Soska, who are the twisted twins. They're identical twin writer-directors of horror movies, such as American Mary, mm. and See No Evil 2, and the appropriately named Dead Hooker in a Trunk. Mm. <laughs> which does really open with a dead hooker in a trunk. It Bizarre, twisted, darkly funny movies, and that's what this is about. Now, this one, certainly over the top, Linda Carter, the night nurse, is one of the few people allowed to go zone to zone on Battleworld, trying to sort out what this hodgepodge of ecologies is doing to, to the health of people. But she also manages to carry big gun with needles, and there are monsters that she's got to fight. She's got all sorts of responsibilities here. And if you've seen the Sasuke twins movies, this is like that in a comic book. Cool. It's little ultra-violent, but again, it's that the Tarantino thing mm-hmm. where it's sort of, we get what you're doing. We, we're in on the joke. We're all part of this. We all love the same sort of things. And it just really, really works here. And so if people, as I would have just walked past this until I saw their name on the cover, if you love their films, try this book. If you like something a little twisted, no pun intended, take a shot at this. This is a really great book. And for only $4, when some of these have been <laughs> 5 it's it's really neat. I... This is a very solid beginning for them if they end up working for Marvel. There are a lot of horror books. If, if there was a Elsa Bloodstone book mm. oh, and, so and Sasuke Sisters writing, it'd be awfully cool. So, Battle World with an exclamation point. They should have that there. Uh, <laughs> Secret Wars Journal, one shot. All That's right. That's it for me. Nice. Awesome. Steve, you've got a book in front of you that I am extremely interested in reading. Mm. <laughs> Do you want to smell this one too? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. It doesn't look like it's going to smell no, as uh, maybe not as pungent, not as, as aromatic as, as aromatic. the last one, mm. but uh, it's pretty good. Still got, a, still got the good new book smell, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. I'm smelling <laughs> ape sapiens face. Oh, <laughs> oh! You smell like fish sticks. It smells like it smells very fishy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so if you haven't guessed it. My book, uh, my book of the week this week is from the pages of Hellboy, BPRD, Plague of Frogs, number one. It's a long-ass title. Uh, this is a collection of stories featuring uh, characters from the BPRD, mainly not Hellboy. No, huh. no, not Hellboy. This is this is the first. Like this was the first collection of stuff they ever put out. Like yeah. this is these are the first stories of the BPRD. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the deal is is um, there's kind of a. Uh, like a, a, a team-wide disenchantment with the BPRD. The BPRD uh, in recent times, like within like the, where this takes place, within the, the few months that it takes place, uh, has pulled some stuff and everybody's kind of getting fed up. Hellboy has gone off to go do his own thing. Abe Sapien plans on leaving and... Um, Oh my God! Her name her name is escaping me, and the whole the whole things about her the 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 female character the one the pyrokinetic character Liz Liz Liz, Liz. okay uh, Liz is kind of off on a on a soul searching mission. She wants to learn how to control her power, and uh, she pretty much winds up at a monastery where they tell her you know all of these people that you're that you're involved with keep telling you how to control your power. But what you need to learn is not how to control it, but how to how to listen to it and tap into it. Mm-hmm. And it it really puts like a an interesting spin on the idea of powers 
and how they're dealt with. Because, I mean, time and time again, we've seen stories where they're like, you need to learn to control yourself, mm-hmm. especially with the the mutant things. And every now and again, you'll get somebody that comes along that is, like, has a different approach to it. Um, I won't go into too many details about it because that's actually a really decent part of the story that I won't spoil for you. But uh, needless to say, it was interesting. And it kind of put a lot of the the big two storylines and, and past stuff that I've read with other character teams into perspective. And um, so anyway, so Liz is off. Abe Sapien is there. And uh, this is actually the introduction of the Johan character. Uh, if you remember, Johan was featured in the Golden Army uh, mm-hmm. Hellboy 2 film. And he is kind of a spirit trapped within a mechanized suit. Uh, you got to see his origin, Wow. Which I guess maybe they glossed over it in the movie, or they they it was like a two sentence. I don't remember honestly. A little bit of a flashback. It's been so long since I've it. seen that movie. All right. Well, his his whole his whole origin story is awesome, and I'm gonna spoil it right now because it's it's old. This book is pretty old. Uh, he was he's a medium. He's like a really high level medium doing like m- like middle middleman kind of work. Like he's just making sure that people can talk to their 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 mm-hmm. loved ones, departed loved ones and stuff. And simultaneously while he's with a family and he's trying to contact the dead and he's speaking with the dead and his kind of his life energy is up and out of his body and in this other plane bringing the spirit to our plane of existence. Uh somewhere in a far off land, a somebody looking for like a relic of some sort uh, finds it and they pick it up and it breaks. And as it breaks, it creates this huge like spiritual disturbance and kind of just sends out this sonic death wave of like a nuclear explosion of spiritual energy and fries all of these people. So while Johan is out of his body, his his real body, his corporeal body gets fried and he oh. tries to come back and he's like looking at a charred version of himself going like, well, shit. You know, now I now I have nowhere to go. But because he's so talented, he's able to kind of keep himself in that spiritual state until the BPRD got wind of the disaster and found his body and were able to build him a suit. And he then, you know, smokes himself into it and is now contained in this thing. Um, so this is his, like, introduction into the BPRD. He's fresh to the whole thing. He lends a really cool angle to it. Um Abe Sapien is not exactly the character that I expected him to be from this book. He's kind of uh, militaristic in a way and very soft-spoken. Like, he's a he's a doer, but he's also a planner. And so the whole deal is that they get word of, like, Liz is, has been gone for a while. And this echo of her her power and her spirit, like, calls out to them and is is yelling and screaming for help. And they can hear it. But they have they have to find her. So they basically they assemble this team and they go looking for her and they wind up in this underground lair with this big bad and all this crazy stuff. And I mean, we've talked about the Hellboy series and the, the BPRD mm-hmm. stuff and Mike Mignola. There's a lot of stories in here. I've only read uh, the first three. The Liz, the Liz Gone Missing one has been so far my favorite. I also got to read uh, a Lobster Johnson issue like when we did the christmas one we were talking about how we want we we would like to know more about the character or see him in something else that maybe get a little bit more out of him he actually speaks Mm -hmm. in this and uh you get to see him kind of throw his weight around and 
Like, he knows who he is. He knows how good he is. So when people, like, when he shows up to the crime scene, you know, ah, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, this is my jurisdiction. Yeah, and, yeah. and he just pulls out a business card with that golden lobster claw <laughs> on it. He's like, well, you know, this is your crime scene now. Get out of here, boys. <laughs> and just him having that commanding authority is really cool. And he's just, he's imposing as hell. You know, he just stands there with his goggles and kind of his like, almost like Nazi-esque, uh, like boot stomper mm. suit and everything. And um, they wind up solving this mystery of uh, somebody's people uh, from the science, science group are dying by having furniture fall on them and crush their heads. But the door is locked and there's no windows. And it's like this really unique mm. crime scene. And they're trying to figure out how to, how to solve it, and they discover that one of the scientists uh, is is in on it, but he's in on it in a very unique way that if you end up picking up this book, I won't spoil it for you, you think it's going to go one way, and it looks really cut and dry, and then they kind of pull like a Twilight zone reveal where the last couple of pages are like you're dealing with something completely different, and you're just like, what the hell? Like, this this should not be, but it's, it's the Hellboy yeah. universe, so it makes perfect sense. Um, I'm just, honestly, like, I, I want to get the rest of these. There's four volumes to this Plague of Frogs series. I'm just really astonished by, A, my restraint and my ability to not collect all of these <laughs> and just go nuts. Uh, I've really abided by my portioning out the Hellboy universe kind of things because I, anytime that we visit it or that I read one, I do love it so much, but I don't want to just plow through everything and take it for granted. Yeah. I've been kind of piecemealing it. But every time that I revisit it and go back to it, I'm always astonished by how well written it is. Mm -hmm. The artwork is always superb. And I mean, you've got creators like uh, Guy Davis and Christopher Golden, and uh, I can't read your name, so I'm not going to. Ryan Souk, Jeff, Jeff Johns. Hey, Cameron Stewart, Michael Avon Oming, um, Scott Collins. All right, I'll try to read your name, dude. Tom Snigsky. Okay. Nicely done. Yes, that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> Whether um, it is or it isn't, he is now Snigsky. So, like, it's cool that all of these, all these different artists and all these different writers, they all seem to really enjoy and understand the universe. And even when there's a different artist and it's not uh, Mike Mignola and it's not, like, Dave Stewart doing colors and stuff like that. There seems to be like a, a an agreement upon uh, within the creative community that does these books that like we're all want we want to have the same universe. We want people to believe that you're still in the same place and you're still running with the same team. And uh, they keep telling like these really cool stories that when it looks like oh you know I've I've read something like this before. There'll be an angle to it mm -hmm. that is unique to the series that you like. I haven't seen it anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Like that's like that Lobster Johnson thing. Like I'm like, all right, like this is. It was a little weird. Like I was like, this is very cut and dry. Where is this going? And then, like I said, within the last three pages, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, all right, that's different. And I've really been enjoying it. Like I, I have like a couple more uh to read in this and uh i don't know maybe the next time i go back to canada i'll pick up one of the other ones but uh yeah bprd plague of frogs if you're looking to get to know the other members of that group uh it's not a bad place to start cool or to indulge yourself um awesome awesome yeah there, there, was there four or five you said yeah there's four volumes to this uh this is the the collected uh soft cover trade this was uh 1999 for a very thick, thick yeah. Yeah, yeah, really thick book. And, um, you know, like I, I enjoy all of the characters. 
but I, I also like getting to know characters more. Mm-hmm. And this seems like the series that if you want to do that, you can. You know, if Hellboy's in the story, he's more or less, you're always going to round back to him. Uh, he's not here. Mm-hmm. So. Next up for you is just buying all the library editions of Hellboy. No. They're not that expensive. No? They're like $25. Ooh, How many issues that. per? Um, it's two volumes per. Okay, so, so it's uh, 10 so, or 12, depending. Yeah, depending yeah. On, on how many it is. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. All right, cool. BPRD, A Plague of Frogs, Volume 1. Yeah. Um, so for my book of the week, um, I'm talking about uh, Captain America White oh. by uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Um, I, 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 I don't, I guess they say in the back, but this book was first solicited, I think, something close to 10 years ago yes. <laughs> or something like that when they mm-hmm. were doing their other their, their colors series so they did spider-man blue they did hulk gray daredevil yellow i don't think i'm i think i might be missing what's so did i say spider-man blue yeah. yes I, I know i'm missing one um goblin Captain Green. america no. white no um I, i'm missing one there's one i'll other. think of it yeah, yeah there's one other <laughs> one um so they solicited it back then a couple of years after that i think the, the zero issue came out and then it just went away. They just, I guess, um, I know that Tim Sales had some issues, some I think health issues over the uh, over the last few years. So I, I, I imagine that's a big part of what happened. Um, but now it's finally out, and in Captain America White number one, you get issue number one, and you also get the issue number zero as well. Oh. Um, I think, I think, obviously, purposes of the fact that it's it's this is the new this is number one, and they do that, that issue is first, and then the zero issue is second. Oh. <laughs> um, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, the zero issue is just sort of a, 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 a setup, and whether you read it after or before that issue, it, it doesn't really matter because it's more just giving you color on um, uh, on Bucky and and, and Steve and, and and who they are. Uh, so, you know, to, to start off, uh, obviously Tim Sale is is the artist here, and you know, I, his stuff still looks great. I think that I, I would say that you know, I think he's definitely lost a little over, over over the years i think there is some stuff that's just a little bit off um here uh some characters don't look great but other times characters look amazing i think and again he's never been the kind of artist that is an on model kind of you no. know representational, representational action, yeah, but, yes but always at the core of it yes yeah. and, and people i mean people used to make fun right of the fact that of of um his superman and superman all season look like a a thumb with a head or whatever that's what people used to say about it so uh you know th- th- i guess I, I i haven't read anything of his in a couple of years so i'm not comparing it to too much but <coughs> other but even saying that even maybe thinking he's lost a step in put it in sports terms yes. uh it still looks great and I really enjoyed the visual style of it, and the the look and feel, and the the way it's colored were all really, really great. Dave Stewart does the colors on, on the book, and it, and it looks awesome. And so basically, um, the, the issue issue zero. I'll start with the second issue in the volume, but the first issue, kind of where it would be coming, is a total setup for Bucky and um, Cap. So. Steve Rogers is already Cap. Um, Bucky is a kid who lives on this ar- the army base that 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 Steve is 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 stationed at, is doing training at, uh, and Bucky doesn't know that Steve is Captain America. Um, he basically walks in on him, changing. Yeah, that's from Cap number one <laughs> all those years ago. Absolutely, I, I figured yep. uh, changing, and then he asks Steve to train him, and, and th- that's sort of what the zero issue is. So of about. course, you bring a twelve year old kid into combat. Yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. you did things back in the forties, and they address that in, in here as, as well, and why he would do that kind of thing, and everything like that. Um, so that that's all there. The, 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 the story feels very much from issue one and issue zero. 
a hundred percent about Bucky and Cap's relationship is is kind of the core of of this story. Um, you know, in in Spider Man Blue, obviously it was the Gwen and Peter relationship. Here it's the Bucky and Steve's relationship. Um, and in the first issue, we are seeing sort of the what we call modern Cap, but not really like you know. Um, first thought out cap, but we're mm-hmm. ta- but here Nick Fury is still regular Nick Fury, and it's like old looking Avengers. So I don't know if they're basing it in the '60s or or what have you. Well, the I I did pause through mm-hmm. this in the store. I'm very envious because yeah. I'm waiting. <laughs> but that's all from Avengers Four. I figured. That's, I figured so that's where Cap comes yes. back. Yeah, I figured they were pulling that stuff from Avengers yep. Four. Um, but I don't know like the time period that they're, if they're keeping it in like the sixties time period where, when it actually happened or the, you know, they're moving it to the nineties, readjusting or whatever, yeah. it or whatever. Um, but you know, some, it was really cool to see Tim sale sort of doing these characters and bringing this forward. The stuff with Nick Fury is really great. And then they do a really good job of, of going back to the world war two stuff and really setting up who cap is. And, and this idea of, you know, because I, I think when when you think of him now, and you know, wholly accepted, he's the number one hero of everybody. Mm-hmm. But in here, when he first meets Fury and uh, Dum Dum Dugan, they like can't stand him. That he's yeah. just some you know guy with a mask who's who, who's just a, a glory hound who's you know who doesn't deserve the laudits he's getting, and they're the ones who are doing the real work kind of stuff, and and how that all sets up, and also it's a very big one here is the duality of the character and the fact that these people don't know that. Steve Rogers is Captain America. Bumbling gold brick Steve Rogers. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Sergeant Muldoon. <laughs> exactly. And, and and there's a lot of that in here. And I, it was funny because I didn't even think of that because he's like, oh, I'm going to the bar to hang out with the, the guys to try to get to know them. And they don't know he's yeah. he's Cap, which I didn't even put together. But uh, That he hung around with a kid named Bucky and Cap has a partner named Bucky <laughs> should have been a giveaway. <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone's not so bright. Um, <laughs> Comic books. Yeah. Yeah. So much like the this the work all the work really or most of the work that Loeb and Sale do together it's really an examination of the early core of of, of the character he does that in Spider Man does that in the Hulk book Daredevil you know d- does that in the Catwoman book does that in Superman Superman for all seasons does that in Batman the Long Halloween mm-hmm. these are all very early stories in these characters histories and uh, does a wonderful job of getting to the core and returning to um, you're not being afraid to be old-fashioned about the character um and i love sort of that i love when writers go back and do sort of you know more modern looking and 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 more modern laid out versions of these older stories you know because i think that not everybody's going to go back and read captain america number one or or avengers number four uh, or all the or the other cat books early cat books um but it's important as we kind of talked about last week to know where the characters come from. And I think we spoke about, you know, about Marvel's as well, which is a really good way for people mm-hmm. to go back and experience and get the context for stories that they're probably not going to go back and read, you know? And I love that here. And it's just great to see the two of these, these two guys working together uh, again, because I just, the stuff that they do, even though they don't work together that often anymore, the stuff when they, ever they work together, I, I think it's usually magic. So really great to see it happen, and, and I'm really excited to see how it goes from yeah. here. What is Phil Coulson's line in Avengers? I'm paraphrasing badly. Sometimes we might need a little old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, yeah and, yes. and, and with this character particularly, yes. who's a cornerstone of the Marvel Universe with the torch and namer, to, to go back to that era, mm-hmm. particularly with everything changing, I think it's... 
would have been great if this had come out in the midst of all those other things. Yeah. But right now, with all these changes happening, a little throwback, very nicely done. Absolutely. A- absolutely. So I, I, I'm very excited to see um, where it goes and, and, and what, what's made of it. And um, Oh, you're making me spend money tomorrow. <laughs> I, I want to really wait. Oh, no, I want no. this. There's this page where it's like Cap sending over Bucky. And I just yeah. I want like this page sans words as a poster. This is such a great look for for the character, and one of those times where Sale absolutely nails it in in, in the art. Um, yeah, I you know I don't. It's there's there's some cool cool back matter in here too. There's an interview that they did I think way back when actually Zero came out with Loeb and Sale about the process making the book mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's a great interview. You get issue zero, you get issue one. I mean it, it it's five dollars, but there's a lot of stuff here for for five bucks. So I I I recommend it. if you're into Captain America, if you're if you always wanted to sort of know. The, the classic history of Captain mm-hmm. America, it's, I think it's a great thing to jump on and read. My wallet's <laughs> lighter. and see it happening. I'm very surprised you didn't buy it. I, $5 was sort of okay. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll trade weight. And mm-hmm. I looked through it and loved it and put it back <laughs> gently. I, I should, no, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns. And $5, get out of here. Yeah, that's, no, I think I have to get it now. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you read it, Steve? I did not. Okay. I actually have issue number zero, mm-hmm. which I have also not read. <laughs> but you were right about the colored series. That's it. Those are all of them. Those are all of them? Okay. Yeah. I nailed it. All right. There's other, yeah. like you said, like you mentioned the Catwoman one, the mm. Superman one. There there yeah. are others, but they're not. Those are the only named color versions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. After I read this, I was like, man, I want to go back and read Dark Victory or Long Halloween yeah. or whatever. The Catwoman one, have you read that? Yeah, I have. It's great. Really good. That's when in Rome. When in Rome, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, they're great. Great team. I can't believe it. if if I if I catch one person at New York City Comic Con this year, it's going to be Tim Sale. <laughs> I need something from him because I love. I wonder his if stuff. he'll be drawing anything. He will probably end up just being doing prints and stuff like that. I don't prints know. Prints are great. Like I just want to meet him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to you know look him in the eye. Be like, <laughs> Say thanks. I love you. <laughs> I did that with George Perez. It was very fulfilling. <laughs> Because his line is incredible, and he's he's sketching for people. It's, mm. I'm not going to wait three hours. I'm just going to walk up and say hi and thank you very yep. much. And he, he looks up, and people appreciate that. Yeah. Walk away. People, what are you doing? Man? Like, he, knows. <laughs> he knows. He knows. We know. We, 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 See, he doesn't so, even say anything. He just walks up, and he looks, just stares at yeah, him. Just shake his hand and just, like, like pull him in. <laughs> yeah. So, like, our noses are almost uh, touching. Simpatico. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Little, little tiny kiss. Just... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> walk away. We'll see. We got. Uh, he made me cry. Yeah, <laughs> Hugh's coming. Uh, it's true. He did. Yeah, yeah he's one yeah. of the. Uh, yeah, he's one of the three. Yeah. Wait. If people have not read Spider-Man. No, Blue, it's four Spider-Man now. Blue. I miscounted last time. It's four times because mm. I forgot about that. Spider. No, I know. I did not cry during Spider-Man Blue. I almost. You're did. dead. You're dead to me. <laughs> I almost did, <laughs> but I did not. Hey, I cried for your Ms. Marvel <laughs> this oh. last issue. So. Come on, give it up. Yeah. yeah, that was a great one. No yeah. question. But yeah, Spider-Man Blue. Everybody, so everybody. God, we haven't said it in a couple so years. Everybody should read Spider-Man so Blue. Yeah. Oh, good. It's great. So good. Valentine's Day is coming. It's true. It's true. Get a get a gift of comics to your loved one. I gave that to and my girlfriend to read, and she just she finished it. She came into the living room. She's like, why? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, like you yeah. liked it, right? Yeah. She's just like, you're making dinner. It's one of those books. It's yep. one of those books. All right. Let's talk about our book of the week. I'm the only one who has this black cover. You yeah. guys all have the salmon color. Salmon. <laughs> I had I had the choice. Salmon. No, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you could have said pink. 
No, it's not that's pink, not pink. I know there are people who wear pink stuff and go, "This is salmon." And I go, "No, that's pink." Right. Uh, and it's not dusty rose. This is salmon. This is out and out salmon. Yeah, I'm glad you said it looks, salmon. It looks like my sushi. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so uh, Steve, this was uh, this was your pick. It was. Um, you did a little. You did a little recap of what it was about last week when we did the, the. Um, yeah, but now I really know what it's about. Yeah. It's, so uh, let us tell us, give us a very short, like, couple sentence. What is Tokyo Ghost? All right, Tokyo Ghost is uh, we're way, way, way into the future. Uh, it's pretty much a look at if we keep going the way that we're going, uh, the way that we we take media in. Think about that meme of of kids crossing the the street after school with all of their heads down. Like mm-hmm. the zombie apocalypse is already here, and mm-hmm. they're all looking at their phones and stuff like that. Uh, Tokyo Ghost is basically a look at what happens when that stuff gets out of control. And several years in the future, you have this dystopian uh, world, really, where technology runs everything to the point where it's become a disease and a virus. And people, we're now at the point where people are selling like old feelings as drugs. Like if you want to feel good about yourself, that's like a it's 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 like a notion that's been all but forgotten, and you can sell somebody six grams of self esteem for you know for X amount of dollars in the future because that's how far we've gone with this stuff. But uh, Tokyo Ghost is about uh, mainly two characters. Um, of course, I always forget names when I come on to this. Led Dent and Debbie, Debbie Decay. Decay. Okay, Debbie Decay and Led Dent. Good names. Uh, <laughs> yes, um, they are boyfriend and girlfriend. And uh, they are known as constables. Constables are kind of the uh, law enforcement within this lawless society. And they're they're one mission away from pretty much a big payday and uh, being able to retire. And Debbie is looking to get out of the game entirely and bring her boyfriend, who has been possibly has one of the worst uh, like like the condition that people are in with this with this technology overload, where he's looking at like even as he's driving, he's looking at twelve different screens and taking in all this different social media and news, and he's addicted. She wants to take him away from all of that, and uh, the only way that she can do that is if they capture this big villain that's a big enough payday for them to basically escape this society and this world. Davy Trauma, yeah, yeah, Davy Trauma has gone around and he's a, he's a mass murderer. You know, while everybody's distracted by their their drag uh, their drag racing and their internet stuffs, he is going around committing murder and getting away with it uh, left and right. He's also highly gifted in the art of hacking, and since this is the future, everybody's got microchips in their heads. They've been uh, modified with things. This, this is the kind of future where, if you want to feel like Superman, you can go into like it's like the oxygen bar of the future, where mm-hmm. you can just go in. And like sit inside of a tanning bed for two hours and you come out and you look and feel like Superman. Mm -hmm. You're not as strong Mm -hmm. as him, even though they say that you are, but you're not. So um, it's pretty much a, it's a love story of these two people trying to make it out of this city and uh, make it out of there alive. And uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's very much right. This issue, especially, is very much like we, one last job and we're out type right. of thing. Three and days how, to retirement. Yeah. How yeah. bad is that job going to go? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's Rick Remender, obviously, uh, Sean Gordon Murphy and uh, Matt Hollingsworth yeah. are, are the team on it. Obviously, all superstars in, in the comic book world uh, working together. And uh, 
you know, for me, um, I'll just say what, what I thought of it. I think that it, it, there, there is a lot about this book that I think is really great. I think that, um, the, although we've seen a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff and, uh, and this does borrow from a lot of other post-apocalyptic stories. Um, and I think it wears those references on its sleeve. I don't think Remender's trying to hide the fact that he's inspired by these other mm-hmm. stories. Um, mm-hmm. there's a certain language that comes from, from, from these type of stories and you're going to run into that stuff no matter what you do. Um, the, the idea of you know, if we keep down this track, we're going to end up like this is, is a very popular one, um, in every era. But you know, this one is the ones we've gotten the last 10 years very much focused a lot on what this does, which is technology and stuff kind of taking over our lives. And I think that, that like the names that we were mentioning and stuff like that, I, I love that aspect of it. I love how kind of pulpy and sort of over the top and ridiculous it is. You know, it's got that kind of John Carpenter type feel to it at times where, um, it deals in serious stuff, but it, 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 it's, has its, its tongue in its cheek enough where, you know, you, you can see it as sort of schlocky, pulpy, uh, you know, exploitative fun rather than something that's supposed to be taken. Like this is a serious message about what's going to happen to the world as, as we, as we go along. Mm-hmm. Uh, love that stuff. I think that for the most part, the idea of this, this bad guy who can take over people's brains and basically do whatever he wants is a really, really scary one, you know? And, and he's a very, he's immediately a very intimidating villain. Um, and I love that he has like this weird code where he won't take over, um, the, the, the dude whose name again, I, uh, um, Dent. Lead, <laughs> Dent, Dent, Lead Dent. He won't take over Lead Dent's in, implant because um, it's not fair, and he wants that he wants to beat them fair and square, which mm-hmm. I think is is great. Um, I love that Debbie is like the one of the only people left who doesn't have any implants in her. She's she's only unplugged, mm-hmm. yep. which I think is a great is a great aspect of the character. Straight edge, straight edge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I love I love all of that stuff. Um, you know, I think that. I think Mara talked about this last week too, right? Loving something and still being able to criticize it, right? So I like most of this stuff. Those last couple pages are stupid. Uh, the, the last couple pages are just dumb mm-hmm. to me. Uh, I'm not going to spoil them. I'm not going to say what, what they are because, you know, it's just came out and uh, I, don't want people, I don't want people to waste their, their $4. Yeah. You know, I won't be able to get an enjoyment out of it. But I think it's dumb. I, 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 and not because I, I think it's, it, it's too exploitive or, 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 or it's gross. I just think that it feels very out of place compared to the, the tone of the book up until that point. Um, there's nothing, and I'm being as vague as I possibly can about this, there's nothing in the book leading up that even hints at, at, at that sort of slant to the story. So it feels like it's just trying to get shock value, and if that's the case, and, and uh, I can totally understand that. I, I think that's a valid thing in books that are schlocky and over the top, but I felt like with the way the book went, I just did not... Mm-hmm. I didn't like the execution. I understood the idea of it, and and I get the idea of it, and I think there is an interesting sound idea some in in that premise. But the way it was executed, I just I just did not dig. Um, and that's my thoughts on, on the book. Yeah. Bob, what about you? Uh, we agree a lot. Mm-hmm. I think there are some great ideas here about our culture's addiction to technology and how being interconnected makes us less engaged, mm-hmm. and that needs to be explored. And it's mm-hmm. explored very well here. And it is a mashup of a ton of things. Yeah. But as you say, because in the Tarantino way, it's, I love these things, you should too, here they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And great. And there, there's a little messages that you know, Remender sucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, on a message board <laughs> in the thing. And uh, they're really cool as, as they get to mm-hmm. that. You know, it's Blade Runner and Judge Dread and Rollerball. Yes. And it, yeah, it's all yes. there and having a great time with it. But I thought, as you did, the characterizations are really, really thin. Mm-hmm. And that there's the, in in the back matter, they're talking about how this is a love story, mm-hmm. and that's sort of I never saw any of that. Mm-hmm. And so, 
we're looking at great ideas and amazing visuals. The art is yes. positively stunning. It is jam-packed, hyper, beautifully stylized. Yes. Amazing, amazing work. And the parts of the story that work, the action sequences are brilliant. Mm -hmm. Your villain is a, a genuine big bad. Yeah. With an odd sort of nobility, mm -hmm. which is, it's very appealing. Mm -hmm. You hate him, but you, you yeah. sneakily admire <laughs> yeah. that guy. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I'm not the biggest Remender fan on mm. superhero books, but on these sort of things, Black Science, mm. which I never finished, but loved what I was reading, and just lots of stuff. Well, this is in his wheelhouse, and it seems like the characters got away from him trying mm. to tell all this other stuff. Yeah. And that disappointed me more than anything else, because I was loving where it started, and then it, it kept starting. Mm -hmm. It just kept plodding along in that way, and it's, let's get to the next hook and let's right, give me yeah. something extra that never we never got over the hump mm -hmm. and so we're getting to a second issue that seems to be a real shift mm -hmm. based on the yeah the preview to something different altogether which could be great but i don't know if i'm ready to mm -hmm. shift yet i yeah. haven't we haven't i haven't gotten the engine revved up enough here right to have the gear shift yeah it's one of those stories that it slams you right right into the yes. middle of, of something and that can go both ways obviously i think it's a great the device when it when it works really well and in some ways it does here because it it throws you into this world and it doesn't leave you any time to be confused because it it it, it 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 right on the top it's like do not worry about the ins and outs and the details yeah. of how we got here and what exactly is going on just know these two are cops this is the bad guy they're going after them if they can get them they can leave and retire and hopefully have a better life that that's sort of all you need to know about the story and i like that a lot um the it's funny because the title and stuff like that i think very much is more reflective of where it's going than than where it is because in here we hear where Tokyo is Tokyo is this the, one of the only unplugged cities yep. left in the Tech in the free world paradise yeah so mm -hmm. you know the, the Tokyo ghost comes into more sharp relief when you hear that title thinking about that so you know I like that and there's complications right because this guy's a bad guy but these two people they're like they're cops for a corporation right they're they're they're, they're cops for you know flack entertainment yeah which yeah. is basically <laughs> you know you know time or or you know or, or fox or 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 whatever and or disney you know, it's like being cops for disney so they're not on the side of the right they're they're on the side of just the, the one that seems less wrong um because <laughs> they're not just outwardly murdering people yep. but who knows how much they're secretly murdering That's people true. so there's a lot there's a lot of depth there and like you said though bob the characters are a little thin steve what did you think of it um i actually kind of loved it but that okay. didn't happen until my second read through I found the first read to be uh, really, really daunting. I, I really couldn't follow a lot of the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to read like all of the little bits and pieces of like the broadcast that he's watching yeah. and like mm -hmm. all the teeny tiny text that you're really not supposed to, you know, it's a newscast. Get out your magnifying glass. Right. <laughs> See, I as a reader, I sometimes get caught up in that stuff because I'm a very visual person. If I see something that has text on it, I'm going to try to read it. And I spend so much time looking in the background. That's another reason why like that first trade of sex criminals when he's walking through the sex shop and all the different movies and mm -hmm. stuff and all the hilarious stuff yeah. that's in there and vagina sleeping bags and <laughs> everything. Like I get so fixated on what's happening in the background and I mean, you want to talk about art. Sean Murphy's art is is so ripe for that as mm, far as getting yeah. really, really sucked in to the world and what's happening in the background. 
he does the opposite of, uh, and I mean, I love both ends of the spectrum. I always talk about how I love like those simple little faraway faces with just like a mm-hmm. line for a mouth and dots for eyes. And that happens a lot in Ms. Marvel and stuff like that. Alfona does that a yes. lot. And I love that kind of stuff. This is the total opposite where if anything is in, in frame in the, in the panel at all, it's highly detailed. Yes. Like even, even the side or the edges of a pier have, you know, the ripples are, are sloshing against the, the wood and, mm-hmm. and there's ropes and the rope isn't just hanging, it's coiled. And even the coil has like barnacles on it and seaweed. And I love all of that stuff. The art for me was, was like the powerhouse mm-hmm. of this, but here's the thing. I come from a very like heavy, heavily influenced anime background. So when I read this the second time around, I got like really, really hard influences from Ghost in the Shell and Cowboy Bebop and Mad Max and things like that. Even that famous Mad Max anime, is, that famous <laughs> anime, <laughs> Mad Max. And um, like those are all things that I love, right? Yeah, yeah, like, you know, all I things that I, that I grew up with, and like the whole bounty hunter esque mm. uh, angle to it. And everything, um, I like the like the hyper the hyper reality and kind of the the look at where we could go. Like mm-hmm. I I look at my own uh, like I read the the little stuff in the back from them and they talk about our society as it stands today and they're saying like even when you go out to go and have a meal. Think about how many times, like, somebody looks at their phone while you're supposed to be sitting down having a meal together. When I go to the diner with my girlfriend and we're waiting for our breakfast, like, we look at our phones Mm. sometimes. Like, not the whole time. But my habit is I check stuff all the time. My Twitter feed. Even if I know there's nothing Mm. going on, I check it. So. But if there is something going on, you miss it. Right? (laughs) So, like, the, the, the lead character... The lead dent character, I really fell for that character because I I understand it and I, I understand the the obsession that if you were to go too far, if technology turned out it, technology is is kind of a drug in today's modern society. People are addicted to it. And if you had somebody that didn't have the self-control or just, you know, everybody has their I'm going off on a lot of tangents mm. here, just try to follow me. Everybody has their things, right? Everybody has like their their private things or even their things that they're open about that they really love and they're really into that if you tap into those hard enough and provide them with an unrelenting steady stream of those things, some people can really fall far down into the rabbit hole. Now you have this huge like homunculus character. Second time you used that today. I know. Well, I, it's <laughs> Roger in BPRD is actually referred to as a hum- homunculus. And this is the same deal, right? Like he's, he's huge. I like that word. It's a good word. So he's this giant hulking thing that is, is obsessed with everything. And he's still trying to do his job. And the only anchor to the outside world that he has is this Debbie character. Mm-hmm. Um, she is the anti-venom. She is his, his, anti-drug his his soberness if you will and she's only able to cull him out long enough like she's the only thing that in his head when he's so entranced in that world she needs help that that's the only thing that breaks him but he's he's still there like he's performing all these actions while still being connected to this world and i just i really like that relationship dynamic 
um, mixed with this outrageous world that that both Remender and Murphy have concocted. The colors from Matt Hollingsworth are out of control. It's just it's so colorful. There's so much going on. Um, I'm intrigued. I I mean, it's funny. And and again, I the last couple pages that you were talking about, I was a bit thrown by that as well. Um, and I still think that it was it was for for the most part unnecessary. Uh, but it's territory that I've kind of seen before in other things. That if they are really tapping into kind of that ghost in the shell world, which they clearly are, um, Cowboy Bebop and stuff, that kind of weird aside stuff is a part of it. And she actually makes, uh, there's one line where she makes a reference to um, one of the only things that can break him out of that trance that he's in when he's involved in all this technology is her touch. Because he is the only thing that, that, that breaks him. So he's so, I don't want to spoil anything. He's so involved in what's happening by the end of this book. He's so amped up that the only way to break him from that is if she takes it to the extreme. And that's the reason why that happens the way it does. I'm not saying that it's the best solution or even the best capper to this book, but I, 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 I get it in that he's so far gone that her doing what she does is the only way to even get him back just the littlest bit for them to collect their bounty and go and move on to the next step. Uh, and from the preview pages of the next book, it looks like we're going to get kind of the start of the detox. Mm. And I would imagine that they've committed so many acts of, um, I don't even know what you would call it, vigil, uh, vigilantism. I mean, they're not vigilantes, they're cops. All right, so yeah. what if people know where they've gone, they know their goals, and they follow mm. them, and they start to corrupt this unplugged world, mm. and we start to introduce these hyper-technolized characters into this you know, serene environment, we could wind up with, with Remender's version of like another Luther Strode or mm. something. So yeah, I, I mean, not perfect, but the second time around having more of a grasp of what it was like and reading the back of the book actually really helped me out a lot and, and going back and I reread it today and uh, I really did. I loved it. I, I thought it was great. Bob, we're going to say. Yeah. Well, to me, where it's really jarring that end sequence, I'm going to try to be very careful here. <laughs> So much of the story is told from Debbie's point of view, and in a very sort of classic film noir voiceover, yeah. mm-hmm. she's obviously a much smarter person mm-hmm. yeah. than she's in the real world. There's, a, there's another level to her intelligence that mm-hmm. we're getting from that. And then when she goes from the subject and the driving force of the action to more of an object, mm-hmm. it's it's a bit... Yeah, it, off-putting. It's, that's the, uh, that's the thing. The off-putting part of it is, and, and it's interesting to see that you talked about identifying or not identifying, but kind of grasping onto the the Led Dent character because for me, like Led Dent was very much like um, only I only saw him through her eyes, right? That's the only that's the only kind of perspective I got on, on him, right? Um, and and I, I think that's and so is it because I so I I liked her I thought that she's a I think she's a good character yes, and I want to see she's going for and one thing I'll say about this book that's great is that it can engender this kind of conversation it's a very interesting yeah. detailed layered oh, yeah. book and I think that that's really cool um, and I, I, I didn't say anything about the art before I just want to say to cap it off like the art is amazing like he's an amazing artist you said the detail is unbelievable yeah. um, you know and it's just it's just great to see anytime he's doing art I'm there because it's just right. always yeah. stunning well I mean I you know I have a I have a way of sometimes of of uh, 
kind of like empathizing with characters and especially mm-hmm. some of the more off the wall ones. Um, this is a minor spoiler. It's more of an art spoiler than it is a story spoiler. Um, there's a point in the in the book like uh, Led Dent is dressed in this kind of like almost Borderlands like yeah, mask, sort of like Baneish. Yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. some ways as well. Yeah. So here's the thing: is that there's a point in the story where the mask is removed, mm-hmm. and when the mask is removed, you see that he's. I mean, he he obviously fitted himself mm. with this outfit. That he is so in in, in just engrossed in this technology and what he's doing he wants to watch and see and take everything in that he's almost pulled well he not even almost he has he's pulled like a uh, clockwork orange mm-hmm. where he's sitting down and they're they're holding his eyes open with those clasps and they're dripping the the stuff mm-hmm. and he's actually inside of his helmet fixed it with one of those things where he built a mechanism that pulls at his eyelids to keep them open and a drip that drips, mm-hmm. you know, saline yeah. or whatever it is in, into his eye drops, into his eyes, so that at no point is he ever not connected mm-hmm. to this world that he holds so close to him. And, like, if, if, if he was just about that, then maybe I wouldn't mm-hmm. be so interested in him. But the idea that Debbie is the one thing that that anchors him and can can snap him out. She's like the smelling salts mm-hmm. to, to his yeah. situation. Uh that reeks of love. That this mm-hmm. this this character that is so married to all of those things, there's a small part of him that is still so dedicated to him and that when she really needs him, that he comes to the call, albeit he's still removed mm-hmm. from the action, but he he moves in. Mm-hmm. And I, I I like that connection and that dedication, and I think that as a as a comic book, that that's those are characters worth exploring. All right, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, let's uh let's deep thoughts. From yeah. Steve say. <laughs> let's hear our from our, our listeners about about Tokyo Ghost. Um, Aaron Dono says usual uh, Remender's usual brilliance mates with Sean Gordon Murphy's incredible detailed panels to secure a subscription subscription for me in in one issue. Um, Milana says Tokyo Ghost was impressive. The world presented it's is quite believable. The story is interesting and the art beautiful, if a bit busy. Um, Ryan Faust says well the story seems to be just setting up in issue one. The art and visual design by Sean Gordon Murphy is mind blowing. Excited for number two. Um, Batfons says, uh, hey. cyberpunk <laughs> with a dash of ultra violence, optical gloriousness, like Akira and William Gibson's love child, big yep. Fonzie thumbs <laughs> up. Um, toxic sooner says Tokyo ghost, a counterculture, a counterculture, non PC gem. Loved it. Art is beautiful. Remember, remender continues to be blessed by great artists. Um, Repstone says influence is obvious, but still superbly realized world in Tokyo ghost. Um, Murphy's gritty style. Perfect. Perfect for Remender's twisted tale. I cannot talk today. Um, at Liberal Bastion says, I didn't like this book. Seemed like more samey dystopian future stuff with a side of teenage humor. Wow. Well then. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for, for, for writing in. Um, and with hashtag TCBOTW. Um, and can you do that for next week's book, which is. I'm still deciding as we come to it. We were debating <laughs> beforehand, and I have a couple of choices. It's a week with. No number ones, basically. Mm. Basically. And no finales to anything. There's no easy jump on There's point. one or two, but nothing that well, there's we can one, really... Well, there's one. I'd love to say we should all read Red Sony number 18, mm-hmm. which is Gail Simone's last issue. But it's tied into the previous 17. I have a lot so of you, catching up to do. Right. We can't, <laughs> so we can't do that. So it was either a coming-of-age science fiction story from Dark Horse and Aaron Lepresti. Okay. 
or <laughs> or something completely goofy. Mm-hmm. And drum roll, the, please. Drum roll, please. <laughs> or I need, maybe need a rim shot. <laughs> I'm going goofy. Oh boy! It is Scooby Doo team up number twelve. <laughs> And I know how are we gonna have a conversation about Scooby Doo? I'll find a way. Everybody just turned off me. the podcast. Yeah, everyone's like, no, they no, didn't. Read it next week's book That's because the, they all just said this one. You're gonna bring in the listeners with the Scooby Doo book. Uh, we'll we'll see who we bring in <laughs> because what this one is. I've talked to three stores already who have really upped their orders on Scooby Doo Team Up Number Twelve mm. because it's a Harley Quinn Poison Ivy Team Up. All right, where. They called the Mystery Ink Gang in because they have encountered a cursed relic that they've stolen, and they're wondering what's going on. I would uh-huh. love that too. Rutrow, Rutrow. So anyway, it is Scooby Doo team up number twelve for next week. Sixteen pages of Shaggy eating stuff. That could be. That could be. Look, I, I'm really enjoying Harley. You know that, that Jimmy and Amanda are doing, and it, it's a lot of fun and ultra violent craziness. This from the images I've seen. It's uh, Shallyfish writing it and Dario Brizuela uh, <laughs> on art duties. It right. is very much Dini-esque. Where is and our I- Scooby-Doo and Titus team up? Titus Androticus from Shakespeare? No, no. Titus the, the dog from... Um, the bat dog. The bat dog. Yes. Really? Yeah. Titus? You've seen, you've seen t- Titus was in that silent issue. Titus is, was all throughout Batman and Robin. Nope. Yeah. Oh, He's Damien's dog. Well, he's awesome. Okay. And I would want him to be my dog. <laughs> Scooby-Doo and Pizza Dog. Um, that would be good, too. I'd read that. Just so uh, I said that- uh, Pizza Dog and Pizza Oh, we already had people abandoning no, us on no, Twitter no, 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 because no. I mentioned pa- Scooby-Doo. Our Patreon uh, listener, Anthony Jones, uh, he wrote in with his thoughts on Tokyo Ghost on the Patreon ah, page. Because cool. we're alive for Patreon, $10 and up right now. Uh, Tokyo Ghost, after loving black science and deadly class, I've been looking forward to Tokyo Ghost and I was not I was not left disappointed. A blockbuster and a book and some of the art by Sean Murphy was unreal. A real mix of Blade Runner, Demolition Man, and Bitch Planet leaves me wanting more. Demolition Man. Yeah, there's oh, Demolition yeah. Man. That's a good one. Demolition Man is a good yeah. one to pick from that. He doesn't know how to use So what do I do with these shows? rocks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that movie yeah. so much. It's not really a good movie. Oh, that movie. movie's great, dude. That movie's so great. I love that movie it's so much. It's great. <laughs> no, it's great. It's like one of those Arnold's from the 80s. But yes. you know what? It is a great 100-minute watch. The Hunka mm. Chunka, the yeah. Horizontal Mambo. Yeah. <laughs> and what movie. a cast. Sandra Bullock and Benjamin Bratt before anyone knew who they were. Wesley <laughs> Snipes. Rob Snyder, man. As a cop. Come on. Dennis Leary? Dennis Leary? Yeah, that's right. He was, um, uh, what is his name? He's the underground leader. Edgar, I believe his name is. Um, Otho from Beetlejuice, isn't it? Gotta have Otho. I've seen the movie a a bunch. Oh, the movie's so good. Uh, Still have the laser disc. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, So, so yeah, that's our book of the week, uh, Scooby-Doo Team Up number 12. (laughs) Yes. Okay. The only restaurants left are Taco Bells. (laughs) No, it it is not a continued story. It's not part of secret Scooby Doo wars or convergence multiversity Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo. It's 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 just old fashioned Scooby Doo. (laughs) One and done with Harley and Ivy. Uh, Awesome. So really quick, I just want to go over some news that 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 broke today. uh, Ta Nahisi Coates is going to be writing Black Panther for 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 Marvel Comics, uh, with um, sorry with art by Brian Stelfreeze and um, uh, Coates is most famous being a writer for the Atlantic. He's he's written a, a few books. Um, 
you know, uh, one of which, the most famous of which is a book called Between the World and Me, which is him writing, writing a, a letter to his son about being black in, in, in America. Oh, wow. Um, you know, very, very serious writer. Apparently, uh, there's a great New York Times article about, about this, uh, about, about him writing it and how he, how he, uh, how he became the writer of it and, and his love for Marvel comics. And it's a great read. So I, I recommend people check oh. it out. Um, I, it seems like he's doing a one year story, a, tw- a 12 issue, a 12 issue run. Um, it's called the nation under our feet. Um, and I'll just read the, the, the quick passage yeah. here from the New York times article. Um, a nation under our feet, the year long storyline written by Mr. Coates and drawn by Brian Stelfries is inspired by the 2003 book of the same title by Stephen Hahn. It will find the hero dealing with a violent uprising in his country set off by a superhuman terrorist group called the people. It's going to be a story that repositions the black Panther in the minds of readers. It really moves him forward. Um, I like the sound of that already. Yeah, I do too. So that, that's the kind of the long line uh, for the book. And, um, obviously it's really exciting. We were wondering kind of Black Panther is one of the things that was sort of missing from the, the, the big, the big announcement suit that they did. Um, we knew there'd be more, uh, and, and this is a great announcement to hear, obviously. And I want to say that, you know, I think it's important that, you know, we, we hit these companies when they do something wrong and it's important to say like, good on you when they do something right. Uh, We'll hit them again a little bit later when we got to talk about the other article. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, but uh, Marvel. I mean, this is this is an awesome you know an awesome choice. Um, you know, a, a very serious writer, a great artist, and uh, you know who knows how the book's going to turn out. But it's I think it's a great first step, and, and it's uh, it, it shows a seriousness about the title, um, which I think is very important. Yes, it isn't just a superhero who happens to be African in this case. Yes, mm-hmm. we're dealing with that world. Mm-hmm. what the person who would run a country in the midst of all that chaos is like. We're positioning back as the leader of the most technologically advanced nation on Earth, no less. Mm-hmm. And putting it into that context is going to allow T'Challa to really shine, I think, in a, in a way that probably hasn't in a very long time. Awesome. Yeah. I've wanted to read more Black Panther since uh, New Avengers. Yeah. So looking very much forward to that. And, and Coates talked about the, the Hickman kind of take mm-hmm. on the character as being a really great um, modern version of the character, and because some people who obviously probably weren't Black Panther readers or ever were asking him like what they should read in anticipation of his stuff coming up. So uh, yeah, so that's it's really that's really awesome. Um, obviously, we don't know any other details uh, about it, but I really, I really, really suggest people read this New York Times article. It gives a great profile of him and uh, um, and what his ideas are about about moving forward with the book. Sounds like a socially aware comic book fan, and yes. doesn't that bode well? Yes. Um, so yeah, so it, it's awesome news. Um, obviously not allowed to say yet because we haven't seen any, anything from it, but g- good on Marvel and, and great, uh, great, hopefully a great future for the, for the character in the next year. Um, I don't think we mentioned either that, that there's a Patsy Walker book coming. <gasps> yeah, Kate, Kate yeah, but Kate Leth and, yes. and um, Kate Leth and Brittany Williams uh, on ours. I just wanted to put that out there. We had, we hadn't talked about that. Really, really cool. I mean, uh, another character who's going to be featured in a television show very, very soon. In November, she'll be in yeah. Jessica Jones. So, be cool to see her back on, on the pages now, of the comic. Does that mean we'll see some She-Hulk? I don't know. There are. I saw there a Charles Soule She-Hulk story coming in an, a Marvel anthology later in the year. Mm, nice, just one. But we're we're starting to put all those ground level characters into play. Could mm-hmm. we? Does the She Hulk belong to Universal? She, oh she's not... no, I don't think so. so there you go. I, the, the thing uh, apparently that was that you're talking about the idea that the Marvel wasn't making Hulk movies because Universal's all the rights right. to distribute them. Apparently that's not the case. There, there's oh good. There's it's more complicated than that. I don't know exactly what the deal is with all of that. But look okay, at Jennifer Walters as a lawyer in a 
Jessica Jones story and yeah. Patsy Walker hanging around. And yeah. I mean, they could definitely, I mean, regardless of that, they can definitely use her on television because television rights are, are totally different. Oh, awesome. Th- th- than, than movie rights. Like, Fox has to negotiate with Marvel to use the X-Men in a TV show because Marvel still has the TV rights to use those characters. Uh, so it's a whole different ball of wax with that stuff. So could Marvel make a Fantastic Four television series? They they could. <gasps> they absolutely could. And yeah. I assume they could, they could use... Those characters in TV shows, if they really wanted to, but probably not because of the way that their universes intersect. So they probably wouldn't yep. want to do that. But you know, I, that's that's sort of the deal with, mm. with all of that. Mm. Um, and also, this is having weeks ago. Now, it's not even news anymore. But Bob and I were mentioning it off off air. Um, so Ike Perlmutter, who is the CEO of Marvel and, yeah. and a majority major shareholder, and a, yep. a major yep. shareholder yep. in Disney because of the way that the whole deal worked out, um, has kind of been the head of the studios and running all that stuff. Um, and he is no longer in charge. He, I mean, obviously, he's still the, still the, the CEO and stuff like that, but yep. he no longer has creative control over the movies. Yep. Feige is now like pretty much the head of that division and is, has he controls that department yeah. now. Who is apparently nearly on the verge of quitting? Yeah, during Civil War. Yeah. Civil War. They so. had their own Civil War. Yeah. Now, there are rumors to say that, again, we're not inside these offices, mm-hmm. so we're just having fun. We're just yes. throwing, throwing stuff at the wall and see yes. what sticks. Is it possible that the focus on ultimate versions of characters peels away a little bit and we start to drift backwards, which could speak very highly for where we go with Ant-Man, for instance, mm-hmm. that we move backwards into a, a 60s or at least a split focus Hank and Jan movie, yeah, which would be kind of cool. I mean, it's if you if you go by kind of the things that Perlmutter has said and the things that kind of came out in that Sony leak, uh, his, his hand is probably a lot responsible for the lack of diversity and, yep. and representation in those movies, um, especially on the female side of things, because uh, he is very much outspoken about the fact that he doesn't think that female-led action movies are, can be successful. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Well, so th- there have been so many attempts at it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and what's the quality attempt? Yeah. In comics, nothing, nothing. No, yep. But you could look at certainly Aliens, yeah, and look at that franchise and how that made money. Mm-hmm. And Hunger Games, yes, Hunger Games is yeah. a modern sort of like look at look at this, yeah. Mad Max, Mad Max, yeah. But Mad Max Ooh. is not sold on that character. I mean, the, the, the much of its success is based on that character, and she's the yeah. best character in the in the in the film. Mm-hmm. But that movie is not marketed on. That no, character no. is marketed on uh, Mad Max, obviously. But we all know the deal. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think it's repeat business was all oh, on 100%. Furiosa. 100%. That, Just rewatched it. Yeah. It was every bit as good at Let's put it this it way. As, as much as people were excited with that movie as a whole, Furiosa was the character that was the breakout yeah. like, oh, creation yeah. from 100%. that. Like, that, was, that was the character that when you went to cons, you saw Furiosa oh, yeah. art. You did not see. You saw very little Mad Max art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so maybe we'll see... A change in their schedule? What do you think? Will they I don't think the schedule to... will change. No? I think that's too hard. I think that's like you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. sitting around. But I, I think what's included in those movies is gonna is probably gonna change oh. a little bit. Um, I'll give them my credit card. I'll get it done. And then uh, okay. <laughs> I think Edge of Ultron is out on Blu-ray pretty soon next week. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's been on digital for a couple weeks now, but I think it's usually like two or three weeks. They do they get it in advance. So those rats. My boss right now is in Hawaii for the Jurassic World Blu-ray preview. Oh really? Whoa. Ridiculous. <laughs> he posted a, a photo from the gym that of the hotel they stay at. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, it's such a shame that you're there with such shitty weather, and it's just like so gorgeous outside. And uh, they drove them on like a tour bus through all these, you know, 
hills and forests and stuff like that. And he just, he looks like he's having such a good time. I'm not jealous at all. <laughs> I didn't see that one, should I? I don't want to go down the Jurassic World. Okay. I thought that movie, ha- I, I didn't like it. I will rent it. <laughs> okay. It's a rent or not I a haven't buy. seen it, but I will rent it. Really, if, if you want a monster movie, two thumbs up. If you want a respectful film that pays homage to the original, you're out of luck. Okay. Well, there so go- there's never been one of those. So. No. Sorry. Well, I'll go watch number three again. But they announced yeah. the uh, only person who likes Shark Sh- Three <laughs> yesterday that they they announced like the the plot uh, points for Jurassic Worlds two and three. Mm-hmm. Oh. So strap in, kids. Well, yeah. they made so much money. Of course, they're going to make yeah. more of them. It's, it's, yeah, but I mean, they're you know, it's been the plan all along. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I'm you sure know, they had we, some, we signed Chris sure they Bradford. Had some idea. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And they, they, like the whole, the whole thing is predicated off of uh, a line from Doctor Grant. Like they took that yeah. one quote I saw from the, the stories. Movie. Yeah, 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 I saw yeah. those stories. So, um, he's not yeah. in this one, though, is he? No, I will never turn away from more dinosaurs on the big screen. I just hope that they learn a few lessons from some no, of the. This is Hollywood. Blowback. It made, but it made like two billion dollars. So the oh, I know. people love this. Um, yeah. I don't know if Trevorrow is is he directing? No, he's not. He's not because he's doing Star Wars Episode Nine. Yeah, he's he's involved, eight, but he's not. Eight, he's not directing. Eight because we because we got s- seven, seven coming. Then it's eight. No, he's doing nine because Ryan Johnson is doing eight. Um, uh, funny little story. I doubt she cares that I tell it. Melissa Megan's husband Ryan. Yeah, he pre-ordered a. Um, Battlefront uh, she, version of PS. She, she told, told me you. on Twitter today. <laughs> yeah, and she's she's like, you know, he's claiming that when it comes to the house, because it's going to be a hot item that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna resell it during <laughs> Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's like, who does he think he's kidding? <laughs> like, he has the worst tactics. I'm like, or does he have the best? Tactics? Yeah, yeah. She wants one anyway. She you see wants that theater a, room he she built. Wants a PS4. Yeah, that yeah. thing is serious. She wants a PS4 as well. Oh, we, were, I know we, she does. we were talking about Soma today, and she was getting excited about oh, it. I can't wait to play. So that. is that the one that's shaped like R2D2 or whatever? No, that was the Xbox. That was like. Years ago, okay. yeah. <laughs> that was that was cool though, because it made like the noises like, yeah. when, you, when you eject the disc and stuff like that. What was this for? The Xbox 360 when they had when Connect Star Wars and stuff came out, they oh, released like even... one that looked like R two D two. Oh, I never saw and that. And yeah. like, oh, cool. <laughs> when it would, yeah. um, neat. But yeah, continuing my st- we talked last week about my my Star Wars hysteria. I started watching Rebels. How was it? It's really good. Cool. It's really really good. Um, all right, cool. So Bob, let's let's talk about this article that that, that you, oh, that you okay, found. Okay. It is from AV Club, yes. which is a very interesting website. Yeah. And what we have, it's by Oliver Sava, and it is called Agent Carter and the Uphill Battle for Representation in Superhero Comics. And what, what we start with is the whole idea of uh, Peggy Carter being the first Marvel superheroine, in essence, for major female character, to headline. A media property, mm-hmm. a, t- a well-received television show. Ratings were up and down, but finished very strongly. So we have that, and how that character and what she stands for in the show, in a '40s era where where women were, as the men came back for more, and they had to go back to the kitchen and so on and so forth. The whole Rosie the River thing. We changed our economy, and yet the world didn't change with it. We mm-hmm. went backwards in that period. And he's discussing, without getting into names, how Marvel continues to hire people who have done not-so-wonderful things, Mm -hmm. not said-so-wonderful things regarding female creators. And their interaction with fans and the the whole industry in general and how it somehow rewards people who do bad things Mm -hmm. without... 
the mechanics of justice sort of turning. Mm-hmm. We can sort of get our alibi our way out of it because we're all part of this other network. It's the old boy network of how th- people continue to find jobs, and that then leads into a discussion of Catherine Imanen and the uh, Peggy Carter one-shot we just talked about, where here's someone who's written a lot of really, really good things, but never had the opportunity, for instance, to do an A-level book on a long-term basis with the sort of proper promotion that would lend a book to sell. Mm -hmm. And where we had, for instance, we came off, it was uh, Kieran Gillen's Journey to Mystery. Yes, yes, yes. Very well received, you know, award-winning, great Mm -hmm. book, everyone loved. It was time for that to go. We have Catherine doing SIF, which everyone loved. It was excellent. And they left it at number 657, Mm -hmm. where everything else gets relaunched at number one. Mm-hmm. Well, that affects how things are going to sell. In this day and age, that kind of number is daunting to people. And it was one of the only ones that received that kind of treatment. Right. Yeah. I mean, if to be fair, it was one of the only ones that still had, had kept its numbering for all that time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah it's absolutely... For, for. I think they had said, right, launching it as Lady Sif number one, one. would have been a much better... Would you have had a first issue that sold eighty or 90,000 mm-hmm. copies instead of 30? Mm-hmm. And then once you have that, when you have that many eyes on a property, some of them stick around. Mm-hmm. It does drift away. And now the, does this become, is it all just old boy network? Is it comfort level, which isn't so pervasive? What exactly is going on in an industry that is changing? Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, we, I don't want this to be a gripe session. We did discuss yeah. this sort of beforehand. But we're at a point where the marketplace is beginning to resemble society. Mm-hmm. So where is... This next level of change going to come? Well, we, you know, you had, you have books like Avengers Assemble that came out. Kelly Sudakonic, major creator, promotion, none. Or bad promotion, Gail Simone's The Movement. Mm-hmm. We had a, a superior book mm. thrown to the wolves, basically. Oh, it's this. Right. No, it's not that. Where are we, where are we at and where are we going to move forward and how do we, as the audience, if not force the issue, how do we support the books that need it? How do we identify where it's going to be, and how do we all mm-hmm. triangulate that? Any thoughts, gentlemen, before I launch into my silliness? I mean, I say what I really like about the article is that it does it does has a two, kind of a two level thing to it, and, and again, again, we'll put a link to the, in, the, in the show notes. Yeah. You should definitely read it. But it's uh, it deals with this this very very overt right problem which is this harassment these harassers i mean they're named in, right mm-hmm. nathan Evanson is named in the article and we've no we've, we've heard of those accusations before I, I don't know about them personally but we've heard about them before um so i'm just speaking what the article sure. says um and, and uh, um speaking about brian wood you know kind of like sticking up for nathan Evanson, where brian wood has his own history of of having a lot of issues in, in, the, in this department and that idea of sort of that protective network of people who um, obviously are, are 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 hurting other people but being protected is a very deep, seedy issue that needs to be dealt with. And the other link that you put up, Bob, is also linked in this article is the Alex DeCampi Tumblr yes. post, which goes into much more sort of per, from a personal perspective detail about it. And so I think that reading that is a 
um, is, is a very good thing to do. And that's, again, that's linked in the article we're linking you to, so you can find that pretty easily. Uh, that stuff, you know, hearing that stuff firsthand is a really, really kind of shattering thing. And I think that, you know, we talked about it a bit a couple months ago, but, you know, um, the, the guy, I think his name is Chris Sims, I think that's his name, who got hired to do the X-Men 92 book. Yes. Uh, he, you know, he had been basically... Um, a known harasser of 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 a of a comic book writer, a female comic book writer in the past, and, and got that job at Marvel. So you you know it's and what Alex Campy says is obviously much more forceful than what this AV Club writer is saying. She's basically saying like I know they don't give a crap about me. It's basically what she's saying. So there's that really intense stuff, and then I really like the way he sort of transitions into basically looking and going into this this one Agent Carter comic book and using it as sort of a case study to go into you know. Imminent and and her her prowess and her ability as a writer and sort of her history as a writer, compared to sort of other people who have similar histories who who are men who have had given more more chances and and given bigger books with good promotion to write yes. and and I think that's kind of a fascinating breakdown. So I just want to give props to the way the article is written because um, I think it's great. Uh, we talked about this when we talked about all the Marvel announcements, right? And there's this idea that. Uh, you know, um, oh, they don't. Women don't want it as much. Or there's not as many women writers, or people don't know where to look. It's all these kind of excuses, and that's all they are. They're excuses, and I think that there's an old boys network that that exists. Like you said, there's like, oh, we all hang out in the bar and we have drinks, and oh, you want to write this? You want to write, you know, Martian Manhunter? Like, okay, write Martian Manhunter. It'll yeah. be great. You have a great idea for it. And not that obviously, uh, I'm using Martian Manhunter just because it came to my head. Not that Rob Williams doesn't deserve to write, you know, Martian Manhunter, mm-hmm. but. There, there are other ways of going about finding talent, and you have to be willing to stretch. And there are obviously editors at the companies that do want to do that, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but that I think it's just about stretching and, and pushing and being able to say good on you when you do something good, but to keep to keep pushing a- along, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what I think is, is important. In, in that, and we've talked about that a thousand times yeah. already. So it's, t- it's I don't want to. It's great it. to have these articles come out in yes. the midst of all this. Yeah, and yeah, so. totally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Steve? Um, well, Bobby actually said it off air, and I was thinking the same thing when I read it that uh, just the way that it was formatted, uh, this article was very engaging and very uh, relating it to a specific comic that you can go and you can read and using it as like a reference and a jumping on point and keep calling back to it and even including the panels. Where, like, when when we read a book and we see the messages that are coming across in some of the dialogue, and especially from a character like Agent Carter, who has now been established within the television community and the comics community as being a very strong-willed character and, and, and a character that's on the rise, hopefully. Um, I like the way that the article called back to those panels and brought out, um, like related a lot of the content to the way that the, the comic was structured and the messaging of the comic. Uh, as far as the content of it, I think, you know, it brings to light a lot of important issues that, excuse me, need to be explored. One of them being, I mean, talk about like the old boys club and, and the hiring process and who gets put on what book and, you know, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but I am kind of to a point a believer in that there's a like a private hierarchy that comes with some of these things and that perhaps um, certain writers and certain talents are, are being pushed to the side. Like I think of something like Journey into Mystery and the like you mentioned the promotions for certain books, like something like we just mentioned Hellcat. 
before. It's awesome that Kate Leth is is getting, you know, a Marvel title and it's it, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. But how how much are we going to put that in the spotlight as opposed to the myriad of of X-Men issues and Avengers, and Avengers books, yeah. books that are coming out? And I just until I start to see that push from Marvel, like we've still got such a long way to go. And I think that the article really uh, showcases that struggle. And 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 it's written in such a way that it's engaging that you keep going. I am not part of like since we I'll confess this right now, um, since we started doing like the article things, I, I haven't put anything on the list yet because this is not something that I do. I don't read this stuff because I got to be honest. Some of it really it's informative, but some of it's also a little depressing for yes. me. Like some of the industry stuff. Like I love the comics. When I start to get involved a little bit too much with some of the inner workings of it, it starts to make me feel a little dirty for for liking certain things or makes me feel at a loss for wanting there to be change and not seeing it happen fast enough. Um but with the two the two articles that we've done so far, the first one, I learned a lot, which which was very beneficial for me. And now with the second one, my thoughts are being voiced and I, and I, I think, you know, it's important and, and put much more eloquent, eloquently than I ever could. I have a really hard time kind of breaking down, you know, written works. Like I could talk about a comic book cause there's a lot of like a huge visual component to it, but like, I can't break things down like Bobby can, like you do that very, very well. I'm not. You're doing fine. You can, you can nod. It's okay. I did yeah, not. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's radio. I don't, do, <laughs> I don't, I don't do it so well. So all I can go, all I can go from is how the article makes me feel once I'm done reading it. Completely valid. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, I walked away from this article feeling like whoever, whoever reads this will at least have a little bit of what I feel on a week by week basis when we come to this mm-hmm. show supporting the books that we do and talking about the stuff sometimes verbatim because if you don't bring it up constantly and you don't put it like whereas other companies are not putting this stuff in the spotlight and we are and we have thousands of listeners and our listeners are taking our opinions into consideration and we're reaching people that way we're by extension helping these titles and helping these books and helping to have that change take effect. As the change is happening, you sometimes need to be more proactive mm-hmm. and loud and push the envelope to make it happen. And that's sometimes aggressive. But if it's aggressive in a positive way, it's not so bad. Uh, as the article points out, you know, they did that great Operation Sin series that we were talking mm-hmm. about when we were talking about the one shot before. Yeah. Why was it Operation Sin that was, and not yeah. a, not Agent Carter? Now, is that because of, I'll throw this to you guys, was that because of, well, lower expectations so you don't want to put Agent Carter in the title of a book? Or is it a way to tamp down the expectation that's now not going to sell? What is the mindset of someone who would not want to piggyback off a major hit television show? This is just me. And I mean, honestly, this is just me. You can take it or you can leave it. Something like that, calling it, Original Sin is a way of just like relating it to the event that's going on and just shoving it out there and not necessarily telling people what it is. Because it, to me, that it sounds like a lack of confidence. Yeah. In, in the title. And, you know, we know that the Agent Carter show is, was it out by then? Yes. Okay. Just started. I mean, it just started. I mean, so obviously they had started writing the book before the series became a thing, but. Right. 
Um, I don't, it's to me, it, it it speaks about a, a lack of confidence in in not just the character, but in the creative team, and just the idea that while we have this event going on, that everybody's going to be paying our our dollar is going to come from the mainline books, and that's what's going to sell. And we know that not everybody jumps onto these tie-ins, but maybe if we call it a you know original sin or Operation Sin, it's it has the word sin in it, yeah. so it's more likely to catch somebody's eye because it's a like word in the event. If they had called that Peggy Carter, you know, the Adventures of Peggy Carter, or whatever, I would have still bought that book, and that series was awesome. It was yeah. one of the better things to come out of that whole event. I mean, I, th- I think I mean who knows, but to me, it seems like. Um, it's like it's like calling something, it's like calling that book New Avengers or not New Avengers, yeah. uh, Mighty Avengers. It's like you know you you, you hope that pe- more people will buy it because it has that name on it. You know, I I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know. Maybe they thought after like oh we should have called it Agent Carter or whatever. Now that things are so popular, but at that point is Agent in that book when they first start when they first when they start writing that book before Agent Carter launches a TV show, is Agent Carter even the most popular character in that book? You know, well, you know, to me, if you don't mind me, no, no, of course, I'm I'm asking. It it is that they thought enough of Peggy Carter as a character from appearances in Captain America: The First Avenger and the Mm -hmm. little short they did to create an entire television series based on this character. Right, right, right. Which is a a, a leap of faith Mm -hmm. that they then didn't have on the comic book side enough to say, well, instead of selling this to these Operation Sin people, was it up? No, was uh, Original Original Sin. Sin. That frankly everybody hated. <laughs> so let's name it after that instead of aiming for these new readers we're trying to actually attract. It's drifting backwards instead of forwards. It's that mm-hmm. we for every two step forwards we seem to make this one backwards, mm-hmm. and the one backwards always tends to be to me anyway a larger one mm-hmm. right. that we then have to then overcome with those two other steps. I mean, just from personal experience, I my girlfriend loves Peggy Carter. That's it's one of her favorite Marvel things that they've ever done. And when I was visiting her, I think I was picking up like issue number four Mm -hmm. or something like that. And I was reading it on the couch and she was reading something else. I was like, oh man, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, it's Peggy Carter. I'm like, check out this scene where she's like, you know, she's giving it to this dude and she's telling him blah, blah, blah. Wear bears and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And she she goes, what book is this? And I said, this is Operation Sin. She goes, and Peggy's in it? I said, yeah. She goes, why am I not reading this? Why is this not on my pull list? And I said, because of the title, because you didn't know that she's the she's the main character in this book and right there is part of the problem like you have me to tell you that but if you don't you might miss out yeah and it's one of your favorite characters from the universe and you don't even know that she's in this book if they had called it Peggy Carter uh, yeah, yeah. Operation Sin mm-hmm. then you know, you would have yeah, known. That would have been easy enough to do. Yeah. Just you reverse to, the names. And you go to the store to every Wednesday. You would have yeah. seen it on the shelf, saw the name Peggy Carter. And if you didn't buy it, you would have at least picked it up and mm-hmm. looked at it. Uh, thinking positively, right. we've, mm-hmm. we've been negative Nellies a little bit here. Uh, with everything changing, it is, is who do you think will be the first female creator on a long-term A-list book? Which might be the first one. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess... Captain Marvel is not considered. No. Okay. No. Um, Much as love the book. I'm you're talking, talking, talking X Men, Avengers. Right. Yeah. X Men, Avengers, Justice League, Superman, yeah, Batman, yeah, yeah. long term. Spider Man. Yeah. Right. I think it's honestly, I think if anybody is going to do it, it's, it's going to be someone like a Catherine Eminem or a Kate Leth. I don't think that they're going to pull like a Kelly Sue or a Gail Simone over into Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if they could arrange that, 
I'm sure they would love for that to happen, but I, I don't see it. Uh, I think, if anything, they're going to have to craft one. I, I don't know that there there's... I'm sure there's there's plenty of talent. Like I said, I've been touting a lot of Catherine Eminence. Every, anything she puts out, I read it. Yes. I think she has an incredibly strong voice. She has an incredibly weird way of structuring her dialogue and her narratives and all of her stuff that I'm very keen to and I enjoy it. Um, the journey into mystery stuff started off very, very strange and even like a little bit hard to follow. But I, I kind of, she's akin to, for me anyway, kind of like a Chuck Palahniuk book. I've said this in the past, that there's a rhythm to her writing that once you catch that rhythm, you're you're just smooth sailing from then on, and it's very um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very infectious, and, and and I I love it. I think if anybody is there due, and that's a lot of what the article mm-hmm. is is kind of touting and is is asking for is for her to be given her shot. I think if anybody at this point deserves that kind of shot, it is definitely Catherine Eminent. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough though, as uh, like a. a a journeyman or a journeywoman writer, which she's mm-hmm. become because of the way that Marvel sort of tossed her around from these to these miniseries to miniseries. It's it's you don't see a lot of that person getting the shot at the big time, mm-hmm. you know. After that, uh, it, it absolutely could happen. Perception becomes reality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like when you see certain names on books, you're like, oh, this is like the person when they need somebody to fill in. This is the person they have do this kind of thing, um, and and so. For me, it would have to be somebody younger, you know, who I think would be coming up. I mean, it, it but the thing is, like, and, and it, this is very analogous, I think, to um, actors in some ways, because um, there, there are big books, I think, that are going to be there for the taking for some of these really great younger writers. The question is, is someone like Noel Stevenson interested in writing Batman? or writing the Avengers, or writing whatever, is she actually interested in doing that stuff, or is she more interested in doing her own stuff? That's a good point. You know, yeah. and, and 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 I wonder about that. You know, I, I think that, um, and this is not me saying that, at this point, there are all these jobs that could be there for women, and women are like, no, I'm not interested in that. That's I'm not yeah, saying that. Right. I'm not one of those people. I want to make that absolutely clear. But I'm just saying because of the atmosphere that is portrayed in, in these companies, like we read about in the article that we're just talking about, is that something that you be even want to work at because of the way that those situations are, are, are happening with only so many slots and there might be pressure to do that. Yes. Do you you want to do that? Backlash and naysaying that would even come with a position like that, that if you were to to rise to that position and like it was announced that so-and-so is going to be on this mainline book, the flood of naysayers would, would would almost be enough to scare the person off yeah. the project. I mean, that happens yeah. to everybody. That happens to... Like, look, at, look, look at the shit that Dan Slott gets on Twitter. Yeah. You know? yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say that. I, I don't think that... I, I, what, I th- what, what I mean is that I think is Noelle Stevenson too... too she's so young and already so good. Is, is she too good to write these books every month, you know? Mm-hmm. is there, Should her imagination be sort of tempered by this stuff? Mm. But I think that she is one of the she is the writer who I think could do that and could write him for a very very long time. Um, more than likely for me though, it's, it's more like Marguerite Bennett who I yeah, think that'd be my pick. Who I mm. think is a great writer, hugely talented, and and, and seems to get how to work that that system very very well and it, and works very well inside a superhero structure. Uh, I think you could see her writing a book. I don't, I don't know what book it's going to be because all these books. Um, 
especially the Marvel books are just restarting with all these new right. teams. So who knows how long they're going to be on those books? But I think that Noel Stevenson or Marguerite Bennett are are the two that I think. Uh, they're primed to take up something huge and write it for a long time. I can easily see. I mean, Marguerite's doing the A Force book, mm-hmm. which is, but it's an offshoot. Yeah, I can see her on a mainline X Men book. Absolutely, with years of future past being mm-hmm. as brilliant as it was, and telling the story of those characters, and completely in keeping with what Claire Martin Byrne had done, mm-hmm. that she gets their voice as well as her own. Yeah, which is not easy to do to mm-hmm. meld the two things together. I agree. I think mm-hmm. she's definitely the. Yeah. Front runner. I thought her and X Men were the things that I that I thought of. If there are any X Men left, I'll list <laughs> there are stories. The, Sarah, they only have about ten. Yeah, <laughs> there could be plenty more X books. Um, so yeah. uh, we will link the article. Yes, absolutely. And the other one as well. Yeah, the Alex DeCampi. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a link. I think the best way to do it is there's a link inside this article ah, to the Alex DeCampi article. See, and by the time you listen to this, I don't know how far down her Tumblr. That post is going to be oh, that's true. so. This yeah. might be a better way, better way to find it. Um, so yeah, but they're both in there. They're both really good reads, and I think very interesting reads and things that you, sh- you should check out. Um, you know, both for the fact that like they're going to make you a little bit angry, but also the fact that there's some really good writing there in the articles in the article mm-hmm. itself, and the breaking down of the actual book is is really really interesting. And the the sort of history of Catherine Immerman is is very interesting as well. Uh, so yeah, um, I thought that thing. It's just, it, I mean, it's just a very interesting aside that like all these artists that she's worked with have gone on to be artists yes. on, on Bendis books is very interesting <laughs> yep. to me. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's that's it. that's uh, check that article out on the AV Club. Um, it's it's definitely something that that is worth reading. And if you get a chance, you know, if you guys have any articles that you want us to check out, please send links to us on oh, Twitter. Great idea, yeah. At Talking Comics. Um, the name, of the, the name of the article, by the way, is Agent Carter and the Uphill Battle for Representation in Superhero Comics. Um, yeah, so next week, obviously, we're doing a Scooby-Doo team-up number 12 for yes. our yes. Talking Comics Book of the Week. I'm not going to be here. You're not going to be here? What? Lucky you. I have to go to Maine. <laughs> oh. I have my, I'm sorry, dude. You, I have my yearly doctor's You miss out on point. Scooby-Doo. I'll still read it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Twitter in. Or I will, I will send my thoughts. Tweet in. I will, I will write my thoughts. We'll, we'll make sure we send an email to Stephanie. Yes. Um, absolutely. So uh, if you guys want to touch us at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics and podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. TalkingComicBooks.com is, of course, the website where you can get our reviews, articles, columns, and our bevy of podcasts. Bevy. There's a lot of podcasts. I like that word. Um, Talking Valiant with Adam Shaw. We've got Talking Movies with Brian Verderosa. Sorry, Chris Oliphant and Nick Scalia. They're continuing their Second Chance Theater. Last week they did Donnie Darko. Uh, Brian had a big turnaround on, on really? Donnie Darko. Whoa. Yes, absolutely. Um, that was that was his pick for a movie he didn't like when he first saw it and rewatched it. This week uh, they're doing Chris's movie, which is Drive. Okay. Um, which one's that one? I get that's all the Ryan Gosling. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, soundtrack. Amazing soundtrack. Amazing movie. So they're doing a Second Chance Theater on that. Um, of course, we've got uh, The Misfits. Melissa Megan, Mara Wood, and Stephanie Cook, and Bob Ryer was on this week. So yeah, I don't know if it's gone up yet. Everybody, but fuck yes. um, to that. I think it's going up on. It's usually out by now, but I think you guys just recorded it what last night? Last night okay. till till very late. Okay, so probably not late. until the middle of the week or something. Yes, like that. Carolyn Coco, Melissa, and I. All right. Um, oh, awesome. Oh yeah, awesome indeed. Uh, talking Shoujo. Uh, Maria Norris and Mara Wood. They have two episodes up now. So good. Look for so, the third one coming up soon. Both soon to be doctors. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So congratulations and good luck to yeah, both. I'm gonna of have them. to remember that to call. Yeah, them. we got doctors yeah. on staff. Yeah. 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 
um, to, call, to call them that when, when I reference them when they're not here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, talking games, Steve Say, yeah, Justin Townsend, Jackie Turner, and Bobby North. Um, no Justin this week, right? He's in Disney. I believe he's going to be back. He's going to be back? I think he's going to be back in time for the show. He said, I, I, okay. don't, I don't know. Um, I'm hosting the show this week, mm-hmm. and I am rebranding the Talking Games podcast to the Metal Gear Solid podcast. <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Lots of Metal Gear Solid talk, uh, some Mario Maker, and with any luck, Soma new mm-hmm. uh, horror game Ooh, that came yeah. out on the PS4 and PC. And uh, we're just going to have a good old time. Yeah. And uh, we have to, we have to move so on. Cause we'll, uh, then we'll just, we'll just talk about metal gear for 30 minutes. If, if I don't move on right now, do it. <laughs> do <laughs> it. <laughs> All so right. Good. It's a good game. Oh, uh, God. It's a great game. One of my favorite games, Maybe of all time. Oh, it's up wow. there. It's up there. It's certainly up there. Yeah, I, yeah we can't get started because yeah. I'll just... And I... If you didn't come on the show and talk <laughs> about it as much... <laughs> with, as, with as much fervor as you did... Because it's the fifth, it's the fifth game in a series yeah. that a series that has spinoff games. Mm. So I've missed like probably eight iterations <laughs> of this series. I haven't but played one since jump the first into one. this one? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Um, Story-wise, absolutely not. But yeah. with Bobby's brilliant primer, <laughs> I'm able to follow it loosely. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the first games in a long time that I'm enjoying the story, but do not care about it whatsoever. The gameplay and the variety and the freedom is so staggeringly mm-hmm. good that none of that stuff matters wow. to me. Yeah. So... Incredible, yeah, an, an incredible game. feat of, yeah. of video game open worldness. And it's, in a couple of weeks, we'll do like a spoiler cast because we'll at least you and I will have beaten the story, so we'll yeah. be able to talk about it because it should be fun to talk about that. Um, and then eventually, I'll have to do the 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 second timeline of Metal Gear catch up because people have been asking for that as well. End of the year stuff's going to be tough, man. It's going to be really tough. It's, it's going to be, be really, tough. really tough convincing everybody. For certain games is, yeah. uh, I don't know, we might have to do some restructuring. It's we'll going to be interesting, interesting discussions. Arm wrestling. So yeah, check out the Talking Games podcast. Yes. It'll be up Thursday around 10 a.m. or noon. Absolutely. All right. So that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast. Oh, Bob has something he wants to say. Wait. Yes. Before you before you say what you're going to say, I'm going to say our Twitter handles. Yes. Okay? Because I don't like saying our Twitter handles and then saying our names again, and I, I always feel like I want to put something in the middle of that. Gotcha. And you give me a perfect thing to put in the middle of that. Okay. So I'm at Bobby Shirtle on Twitter. Steve. I am at dead underscore anchorist. Bob. Bob Ryer, talkingcomicbooks.com. And Stephanie is at Hello Cookie. so follow her as well. Bob, what did you want to say? I hate to end on a down note, but it's not because it's positive. Oh, boy. But- Jack Larson, who played Jimmy mm. Olsen yes. on The Adventures of Superman from 1951 when they started filming till the end in 58, passed away at age 87. Mm. And when I was a kid, to watch, he was hysterical. It was very funny, and he was Superman's pal. He was our entry to being in that world. We, we could live through him and being with Superman and Lois and Clark and doing all these things. And he was hysterically funny. He'd been brought up in the studio system as meant to be sort of a real movie star and was out of work a little bit. And just do the show. No one's ever going to see it. <laughs> and then he was only Jimmy Olsen forever. Mm-hmm. But he went on to write operas and novels and plays, was the producer on motion pictures with his partner, James Bridges. So he did a lot of their stuff. But for so many of us who grew up when I did, Jack Larson is Jimmy Olsen, and we thank him for that. Yeah, I think that in many ways, too, his 
portrayal of Jimmy Olsen is sort of what everyone thinks of when yeah. they think of Jimmy Olsen. Even if they haven't really even seen that show, that's sort of like... Golly, Mr. Kent! Yeah, that yeah. golly, yeah, Mr. Kent thing is very much, I think, what people think of when they think of Jimmy Olsen, even today. Everybody's going to be thinking of Jimmy Olsen when that Supergirl show comes out. <laughs> Sexy, hot Jimmy Dude, that guy, yeah. <laughs> that guy is... Fine. He's a good-looking man. He is a good-looking man. Good-looking man. Did you see on... the red tornado image? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's not a good-looking image. No. What? I, I think it just looks too... I mean, I think that as, as a still, it doesn't look very good. I I, I, I'm not, I didn't jump on it because I think that when it's in motion, it'll look fine. But it's just it looks very, like, um, I don't know, like... Power Rangers? It does look kind of Power Rangers. Yeah, but... That's the way he looked when he was introduced in the comics in the 70s. So that's kind of, you know. I snarked once on Mm. the internet. That is a very low number for my snark uh, snarkometer. You should be happy it wasn't the original Red Tornado. Which was Ma Hinkle with a with a soup pot on her head, wearing <laughs> long, flannel long johns and a cape. I kind of want to see that. <laughs> you, see, we can Google that. Yeah. Ma guess, Hinkle, the Red Tornado. I th- and I th- uh, it's I think, I think they're early October, but uh, the, 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 all the comic book shows start coming back soon. I mean, Gotham yep. already came back, but I'm not counting that one because I don't watch it. So I had to inform one of my good friends. She asked <laughs> if that show was worth watching, and I went on this like huge diatribe on her Facebook page. I, before I even know, <laughs> known that it had happened, I was like, wow, I wrote like three paragraphs about Boats. whether or not you should watch this show. I heard that, um, I was reading on Comics Alliance that the first episode back was horrendous. I, I just tell people to, people ask me that too, like a lot of my friends who are like, they like Batman, they don't really do comics, they ask, they ask me about it and I just said, I just say, just watch an episode if you like it, you like it, like I don't want to like, I have a lot of problems with it because of uh, how much I know about Batman and all sure. that stuff so like I, I, it's tough for me to be sort of removed from the idea of it just a, as a like a fun a fun you know let me just watch an hour of television television show so i can't talk about it and i think none of us have like the ability to like look at it and go like i don't i don't know batman uh, what i how would i feel about this show you know i just can't pull out yeah. establishing yeah. intimate relationships with gotham's villains with the Jim Gordon character before Batman, but I guess that, that, but, but that's your that's your Batman fandom. Ah, we're, kills we're bringing me. that to the party. Yeah, yep. that doesn't make so any that's what I mean. Sense. When I tell again, and I think for yep. us at this table, absolutely. But when I when I have people who just don't really care about that kind of stuff, ask me. I'm just like, just watch an episode. If you like it, you like it. Like, there's a couple of good performances. I'm sure you'll find stuff to enjoy. But like, you know, and it's funny because we go back to the episode. I didn't hate that first episode. I just I even liked the first episode. Yeah, I just didn't have the desire to watch anymore. That pilot episode is deceptive. That was in, my issue in no. conjunction with the rest. of uh, but we got, we got Flash coming back, we have Arrow coming yeah. back, we've yeah. got Supergirl Shield. premiering, we got S.H.I.E.L.D. coming, uh, mid-season we got Legends of Tomorrow, so there's a lot of stuff that we'll be we'll get to talk about. Um, we have Maxwell Lord and Supergirl now, too. We do. That, that was we do, we have Maxwell Lord. Maxwell Lord and Supergirl, Vandal Savage and Legends yeah. of Tomorrow, we're living in a crazy world. <laughs> Heroes is coming back. Heroes is coming back. And That's true. Tonight. I do want to watch that and, and, and talk about Ooh. it on the show because I'm interested in it. It already aired. The Muppet Show is back. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yes. Um, there's protest about the Muppets. I know. There's protest about the Muppets. The Million Moms March is yeah. against the Muppets. Yes. The Miss Piggy <laughs> commercial with Nathan Fillion oh, is hysterical. hilarious. Um, Keep walking. So, yeah. That's right. <laughs> he will be at New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. So will Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. I may or may not have an interview with him. Oh, my God. But I am very interested to see what Heroes is like. Yeah. Um, because... 23 of the first 24 episodes of that show, I loved it. And then everything wow. else, I really hated. So <laughs> the finale is horrible of season one. Here comes the song. <laughs> and then everything else is bad of it. It just gets worse and worse and worse. But that, that, some, of that, some of those middle episodes of that first season are just are 
excellent television and they seem like they're going a different way here and they're they're really they're doing sort of like you know those short like cable length mm-hmm. like seasons where it's like contained story in 12 episodes or something right, like do that 12 great episodes uh, yeah, not yeah. 24 mediocre ones and then what maybe yep. we'll come if, if it's good we'll come back for another one whatever so i'm interested to see how what they've learned and where it looks like because it's interesting to have like a a canon or a history to something like this and it's happening a lot right we have we the 24 came back for that like that like half a season we're having x-files obviously is coming back very soon um they're actually showing the first episode at new york comic-con Ooh. so that i'm sure that'll be an, insane <laughs> Everything there is insane. Um, so that's happening there. So Twin Peaks, obviously, they're in production right now. Uh, on yeah, that. Uh, Amanda Seyfried just yeah. joined the oh, cast. Got cast. She, I picture that. Yeah, I yes, can see she her in Twin Peaks show. Definitely. Absolutely. So it's, it's interesting. Interesting time for television. But we'll talk about that in, in the coming weeks. I, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure on Supergirl premieres. Um, Mid-October. I October. Thought, yeah. I, yeah, I know that I know that Arrow and Flash are first week in October. Um, so and no crossovers, sadly. They're saying. Yeah, they're saying. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm so excited with the, about the Flash. Oh yeah. So excited to see what that's going to be like. That season finale was off the hook. It was, yeah. and it, what they're saying they're doing, and all the characters they've talked about, it's going to be going to be great. Can't that little trailer that the trailer they put out, the first line is like, "My name is Jay Garrick." Yeah. <laughs> so oh, I haven't watched that yet. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like a little bit younger, obviously, than like the than like. JSA, you know, whatever. But still, but still, Jay, he looks, he looks yeah. like Jay Garrick. He looks like the same build, same face. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited about that. But that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Steve, ciao, and Bob, adios. I've been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>